So welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We have the honor of having Captain Chuck Niedemeyer. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks, and uh, that'll be the last time I call you, sir. Thank We've you. already been threatened I appreciate about that. the uh, the formalities here. But yeah. uh, in all honesty, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. And thank you for um, popping your cherry on your uh, podcast career here with us. We appreciate yeah, right. it. <laughs> about it. So... Um, uh, kind of walk us through, uh, where did you first start your career as a firefighter? So, so when I was younger, I, uh, I worked in construction. I was building homes, and I, uh, I knew that just wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I didn't come from a family history or I had no background in the fire service. I, I just kind of thought that I, I really would like that a sort of a career there. A friend of mine suggested to me that I went to uh, an EMT basic class, which I did at Alexian, Brother, uh, Alexian Brothers Medical Center. It was in uh, 1988. I went to uh, Alexian Brothers Medical Center EMTB class, and I was hooked, man. I, I just loved it. So in 1989, I... Uh, I actually went to, in 88, I actually went to work for Superior Ambulance, and uh, I begged them to sponsor me for medic school. Um, at that time, uh, back in that day, you were supposed to be on an ambulance for a certain amount of time, um, and I, I clearly was under that time. And You I, had to I, be on an ambulance as an EMT before you could go. an EMTB, correct. Um, I got them to waive that for me. Um, and uh, Metro Paramedic Services or Superior, a division of Metro, actually sponsored me to go to medic school right out of EMTB school. So I kind of jumped out of one right into the other. And, uh, and so I went to medic school at Good Samaritan Hospital in 1989. Um, it was a six-month program. Uh, Lita Zamboni was my instructor. They did a, they did a great job of, of really just teaching us how to be medics and being proud to be a paramedic. It was a little different back then. Like, did you get a chance to work with uh, Dr. Hartman at all? While I you did. Were? Yeah, I oh, did. Wow. He was There's actually, another amazing guy right there, huh? He, he really is. He, he was my project medical director, so I actually had to do a rotation with him. Uh, the cowboy boots and all, right? Yeah. Scrubs and right. boots. And uh, I remember him going through my calls and he said, uh, I had a pediatric call that required, an, it should have been an intubation, and I didn't do it, probably because I was shitting myself. <laughs> and uh, um, he asked me why. And I was very honest with him and just said, you know, I just was completely uncomfortable. Um, I wanted to make sure before I did anything like that that I was comfortable in what I was doing. And he said, next time, become comfortable and do the job. You're a good Sam paramedic, and we expect you to act differently. And that stuck with me forever. I, I don't know if the man's retired, but he, he was a great influence on us. He, he came and taught a few classes. He did a great job of getting us prepared. Yeah, um, I, I, I was in a good Sam system, too, and uh, just to be associated with, oh. you know, the like the Hartman Award and right. all that, uh, it yeah. was, it, that was something kind of cool. But does anybody ever get comfortable with <laughs> pediatric innovation? Is that something that, ah, yeah, I'm completely comfortable with that. I yeah, think if, I, if you are comfortable with that, I think you got a problem. Yeah. I, I think that was a, that was an eye wake. Uh, it was awakening for me. Right. So, so I, I, that's very true. And I, I left there and I, I went to work for Metro paramedic services in the Glen Ellen contract. And if you, and if anybody knows anything about that, Glen Ellen at that time, the, the ambulance was left in the parking lot and we lived in a hotel. The medics stayed in a hotel. Wow. And because yeah. the volunteers wouldn't let us in the station at that time. Oh. 
I made friends with the volunteers. I used to go to their meetings. I had a blast with those guys. I mean, that was beer in the fridge days. That was different, right? <laughs> right. They gave me keys to the station, so I could go in anytime I wanted. Um, so I would go in the fire station, but I was alone. Um, not going to lie if I didn't say we had some fun in there, but <laughs> but uh, things changed. And <laughs> it was the 80s, wild time. It, it was different, right? Early 90s, late 80s. I wanted to go, I wanted to, go to the fire academy. <clears throat> Metro wasn't going to send me. I decided to make a change. <clears throat> I wanted to go through a fire academy. I, I talked to PSSI, um, uh, Paramedic Services. They agreed to send me to the tri-state contract, tri-state fire protection district. I went there in 91 where they immediately sent me to the Arlington Heights Fire Academy. So you're working on the privates. Correct. What? What prompted you? Like you said, you wanted to go to fire. I can't imagine, like, in yeah. especially you're being sequestered in a hotel. Like, yep. what exposure to tell did you, you have to that? I absolutely love being a medic, and I had a great partner, Cece Stover. She was awesome. Um, I loved it. I mean, being a paramedic at that time was like a badge of honor. You really were good at it. Like, you, our expectations were high. You, you performed at a high level. But there was a house fire in Glen Ellen at. Uh, on one day, I couldn't tell you the day. For whatever reason, I went to the rear and I saw the basement was on fire. And in the rear, you could see the rear basement windows were fully, the basement was fully involved and it was vented out the back. And as stupid as this sound, I grabbed a goddamn rabbit and I pulled a rabbit out of the cage that was getting burned up. The stupidest goddamn thing you ever heard, right? But when I, safe. Yeah, right. When I got to the front, I told the chief the basement's on fire in the back. So those guys came around to the rear and accessed the basement through the rear. After that, I'm, I'm like, this is it, man. I got to go. I got to do both. There's got to be a place I can do both. So that was it, huh? That was you get, it. You get a taste that of that rabbit. That was the moment. Yeah, very, very few people know that story, and uh, I'm going to get an ass beating for that on my department. Well, so. we'll, we apologize. In no, I'm fine with we, it. Uh, I don't care. That we wrung that one out of you. That's yet. okay. Yeah. Heard, the so, other, heard about the other pictures, I guess, they're having like Bugs, yeah, right. Bugs Bunny Those pictures. Those are gone, everywhere. right. <laughs> so I went to the... I switched over to PSSI. I went to the Arlington Heights Fire Academy. I had just started dating my wife at the time. Um, I graduated from there. I was on the tri-state contract. Um, they were very good to me, very good to us as a contract in whole. But it's me in particular, we were brought in like family. We were treated like one of the guys. We were never treated differently. They were exceptional people there. Um, some of those guys are still there and, uh, and the guys that have retired, I talk to, I see those guys, I talk to them. Um, they introduced me really to the fire department and, and, uh, I started, I lived in Plainfield at the time. My wife and I had bought a house and I started volunteering in Plainfield and, uh, Plainfield's a little different. Volunteer is different than career, right? It's, it's a very different game. And I, I don't, I don't disrespect one versus the other the guys that volunteer man that's volunteer that's that's hardcore man right. that's like different right it's it's just a different animal yeah plus in in Plainfield it was very much a club right you belonged or you didn't and I was a newcomer coming in I didn't belong and they made that clear in various things that we did one day it was about 20 below zero and the Roussinelle fire came in and, and John, or I believe his name was John, the chief at the time, he, uh, I happened to be driving by the station just 
for whatever reason, I was driving by and I pulled into the station to go. There was no one there. Two, the first two guys that showed up, one wasn't a firefighter yet and one had just got to be an engineer. And, and back in those days, being an engineer meant you took a driving test with one of the senior guys. That was it. I went to that Roussinelle fire. John told me to get out there and take a look at it. And he knew I was a career guy. When I got there, when we were pulling up, there was a carload of of employees that were driving out of there as fast as they could go. They were peeling out of there, and there was heavy. Can you describe this building? uh, This building was a gigantic barn that had an attachment to it. So the barn was in the middle, and it had a to the, what I would say, the B side, the C side, and the D side. It had three long barn, three long connections attached to it. And the smoke was predominantly coming out of the middle. And when I got there, and again, it was 20 below zero, the kid I had driving was my next door neighbor. And I said, hey, I'm going to pull a two and a half, which if I, you ever hear me say I'm going to pull a two and a half, shit's going bad. I mean, that's bad. Um, I took a two and a half. This kid I had with me who is now a captain in Plainfield, I believe he's a captain or lieutenant. I'll leave his name out. But uh, he wasn't a firefighter yet, had no experience we breached that door and went in and we started fighting fire with a two and a half and there was a false ceiling in there. We were blowing fire. We were putting fire out. We got in about 50 feet and uh, this fire got ahead of us. It was way ahead of us. Um, I had, the kid had grabbed, I was on the nozzle and the kid had happened to grab me from behind and said, hey, I'm getting burned. He was really panicking. And I I thought it was just him kind of, just having a, a little bit just of a panic because he's new, right? He had no experience, yeah. and I get that. But I looked behind me, and there was fire floor to ceiling. We were kind of in a pocket, and uh, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that's a bad place to be. Um, so we, I spun around and started fighting fire, and and there was a false ceiling above our head. We were putting taking that off with the two and a half, and uh, I said, "Hey, get behind me." I was trying to get out with my radio, but nobody was answering us. Things were going really bad. We were crawling to get out. I was following the line. So it's just you two and it's the just guy us who's two, the engineer. and that's it. And the chief happened, and the chief got there. Okay. I thought I could get to it when the chief was there when I got there, and I had just said, "Chief, I'm going to go after it quick and try to get this under control fast. Let's not let's not let this get ahead of us." And he said, "Go." When I started coming back. The kid that I had with me, his brother was on the ambulance in Plainfield. He was at the at the side door where we went in. He saw our hose line going in. This kid knew um, that I knew what the hell I was doing. This kid was also a kid that I knew very well. Um, he knew that something was bad because there was fire coming out the door where my hose line was, and we right. just don't do that. So he knew it was bad. When I was crawling out with him behind me, I ran headfirst into a propane tank that was venting out the top. And I honestly, I thought that was the end of it. We were done. This was a Saturday. Um, Somehow we kept going and ended up falling out this door, ass over tea kettle, both of us. And I just yelled to the chief, hey, there's propane tanks in there and they're venting. We got to pull back, pull everybody back. And they started letting loose in the building. Um, and they were letting loose in the back inside the building, and it just went to shit on us. We burned the place down. 
Um, no fault of anyone's, right? I, I was a, in a place where I shouldn't have been. Honestly, I had made a huge mistake, and I put that kid at huge risk. Um, so when I came out, I tried setting the perimeters. The chief had that taken care of. We went into the warming van because it was pretty shitty out. And uh, my wife had no idea where we were. I, she had no idea where I was. Because um, we're yeah, volunteer. You're on a plumbing job in yeah. South Side Chicago. Right. right and we yeah. have no, I have no cell phone. We, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. My kids laugh now because they think that it's funny that I got a cell phone when I was 35 years old. <laughs> I didn't have a goddamn phone. I mean, I, I mean, I, you think that's crazy, but that's how it was in 1990. You didn't have a phone. Right. 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 So I'm supposed to be at a wedding. My wife has no idea where I am. I tell the chief, I got to go, man. Now, I've had my ass kicked in at this fire. We got our ass kicked. And for nothing, really, for nothing. And I, I go home and I, I take a shower and I tell my wife I was at a call. She knew I was, a, you know, she knew I was volunteering there. We go to the wedding and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, I almost killed me and another guy being stupid. I'd only been a fireman for a short time. Was that your first significant fire? Yes. And I'm, like, and I'm riding up and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> this is wrong. This is wrong. The, the last straw for me was I went to the Monday, the Monday evening training session to critique the fire with all the old guys at Plainfield, right? None of them would ask me what I saw as first an officer. They had no, they, they asked me nothing about what I saw as first an officer. I took my shit off right there and said, I quit, I'm out, I'm done. I can't get killed as a volunteer for something like this, I can't do it. Yeah. Without us learning something from it, it means nothing right. to me. And then I realized, right, this isn't a game we're playing here. We got we to actually hunker in and understand what we're doing here. Um, so I was at Tri-State for, uh, is it on the contract for about four, three or four years, 94-ish, I got hired full-time. I took their test. I took several tests. I got hired by Tri-State. Um, so I was on that job four years. In 97, 98, a bunch of the volunteers who I still hung around with went to take Aurora's test. They asked me to come with them. And I didn't even know where Aurora was. Never been there in my life, ever. Hmm. I went there to take the test with them. I remember the orientation was at the Paramount Theater. Um, people, the firefighters talked. I still remember who they were. And then we went through the physical agility, which was held at Central Station, where they set up their own physical agility, and you did it. And then you went, you went on the list. I was number 101 on the list. Every single time something came up, I, I had owned a business, and I was working at Tri-State, and I told my wife, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? I like where I am. I, I don't need another job. I love where I'm at. Well... 101 on the list. I remember my wife walking in the door. I wadded the paper up and I threw it at her. And I said, I told you this was a fucking waste of time. <laughs> Complete waste of time. I was remodeling our home at the time and Dixie, the administrative secretary, everybody at, at Aurora will tell you that Dixie Gump and Roseanne Hernandez, our administrative secretaries, are really the chiefs, right? Like, they really run the department. Yeah, they're There's the guy behind the game. Anybody that denies that's full of shit, okay? 
she called me and she said, hey, we need you to go for your psych and your, uh, your polygraph. And I'm like, seriously? Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, we, this is, really? Right. She's like, How many doing at a time? Yeah. They were doing 25 at a time, but the first 50, they got two out of. Wow. So I'm like, okay. So I go, well, I was working on a, a job. Like I said, I owned a construction business. I was covered head to toe in mud. It was raining. I left my shoes outside. I went up for the polygraph. The guy hooked me up, started talking to me. I looked like I was a disaster. I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. I was working. And he, he said, hey, uh, I went through the polygraph. He said, hey, looks good. Hey, do me a favor. When you go for the psych suit and tie, you can't, you can't dress like yeah. this. I mean, at I'm least like, shoes. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I had to leave the shoes outside. I was covered. <laughs> and he's like, all right, he was a great guy. I, I, I don't know. I, somehow I passed the polygraph. And I, I go, that probably gets us in trouble, but I, I don't. I mean, I'm, there's got to be a statute here. I'm yeah, passed. <laughs> so... I go to the psych, I take that, I pass that, and I get offered a job. I'm like, you have to be shitting me. Like, really? How long after application? It was quick. Wow. Very quick. Huh. I was hired in uh, September of 98 wow. on the Fire Department. And you thought having a number like 101 was I, like you were... I was never going to be called again. Right. I was done. I threw the thing at my wife. I told you it was a total waste of time. Um I'll tell you guys. So, so then I have to go through uh, an interview with the um, fire board with um, the city there. And there, I don't know if you guys have ever been familiar with Aurora. You've been around Aurora. We're not easy on those guys. Like they get put through, they get jammed through the ringers pretty hard. Now I, I was full-time somewhere. So the, some of that was done. They talked to all my neighbors they checked every background. They did everything. My neighbors came over and said, God damn, there was somebody here checking on your ass, right? Um, and they were on me pretty good. I, I had nothing to hide. I was just honest. Um, we, I ended up getting offered the job. As I was walking out, the union president, Ray Pfeiffer at the time, I was walking with him. He had to escort me out the building. And I... I had a copy of their contract because I had friends on the job there. Actually, our chief, Gary Credence, is a very good friend of mine, and he, he was on the job already. I just said I needed to see their contract versus our contract. I wanted to make an educated decision about yeah. what we were doing. That's fair. And I asked, I asked Ray, I said, if you were me and you had to make a decision right now, what would you do? He goes, oh, I wouldn't take this job. I'd stay where you're at. <laughs> Thanks, pal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I, I start going through the contract. There were some significant advantages to being a Aurora fireman. Now, now here's the issue, right? I'm 34 years old at the time. My wife is nine months pregnant. We've just bought a house, and my life is getting going. If I get fired, which I hear Aurora does regularly at the time, I heard that. Fuck, I'm, I'm out. Right. Right. So I went to the deputy chief at the time at Tri-State and told him what I was doing. I was very open and honest with him. And i never forget, he said to me, Aurora, why the hell would you want to go there? They're busier than... Right. I took the job. They gave me a leave of absence at Tri-State. They were very kind to me about that. If something went to shit there, I could come back. They had you. They had your back. They really did. And 
a lot Which, of people you know don't what, and know that's that. a testament to to them. It, it really that's is. That's a testament to you. It really is. Like, they, I mean, it, they wouldn't have done it for a guy who they maybe didn't feel good about. I wouldn't think so, but they made me feel more comfortable. Well, then you walk into the Aurora Academy, and uh, holy shit, boys! If you've never been through the Aurora Academy, <laughs> and so that that's an in-house academy. Yes, sir. That's with, an in-house academy, with all and active it, members at the time who are your. Oh yeah, and at, and the time I came on, the officers were forced to teach, even if they didn't want to, and most of them didn't want to. And in Aurora, you are treated like the bottom of the shit on your shoe when you're a new guy. You are treated, you are not treated well. And they want to see if they can break you mentally, and then they go to the physical part. So I equate it to uh, military boot camp with being able to go home at night. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard mentally, and it's hard physically. Chief Gary Strong was my training chief. We called him Satch. I still talk to him to this day. I love the man like a father. He, uh, in our academy class, you, they believed very much in seniority and very much in, in what he called experience. So if you were in my academy, I had the most experience. I was full-time. I was already in the union. We were IF, IAFF Local 3165. He considered me the guy that was going to be responsible for them. If you made a mistake, I got talked to. And then we just talked and it was over with. Uh, that was great, except if you're that guy, right? And, and my class was awesome. The class of 98, uh, I think, was, was awesome. We're, we're a great group. Two of them are gone. Three, one had to go 18 years in his career for a, a medical. Um, we had a great class. They were great guys. A couple got fired. Um, but we, you're the point, but at this point, you're, or at this, this time in your academy, like you're the point guy. I, for so the I, instructors right. So I kind of had to answer for whatever we were doing, which right. really wasn't a whole lot because we just didn't, you did what you were told. You just mm -hmm. didn't, in Aurora, you didn't, you didn't do that shit. You just didn't, you did what you were told and that was it. And sometimes it was kind of odd and different and you just dealt with it. Um, it's old school, man. It was old school, hardcore stuff. Um, so, so then fast forward, you get out of the academy. Nobody on the Aurora Fire Department gives a shit about you when you're new. They don't care. It's, that's just the way it is. You earn your stripes. My first, so my wife was nine months pregnant, and I told her, for the love of God, do not go in labor my first day on shift. If you do anything... <laughs> Don't go on in labor on the first day in shift. It's not too much to ask for, is it? Correct, right? <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning, oh. she's tapping my shoulder. I'm shitting myself because it's my first day on shift. I'm wide awake. We got to go to the hospital. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I called the on-duty chief. I tell him what's going on. The first thing, he's dead now, and he's a great guy, Doug Rischel. He goes, who is this again? He had no idea who I was. No idea. None. <laughs> my wife's in labor. We're having a baby. My first child, my first son. I, I go in there. Now, there's no, like, I didn't have a cell phone. Again, I know right. you guys think that's insane. No, this no, kid no. sitting over here is looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> we didn't have a cell phone. I'm at Good Sam. I did my medic time there. So 
I run down to the medic room when I get a break and I call the department. I'm shitting myself. Chief Reckenmacher answers the phone. He's, he's batshit crazy. He's, he's like hardcore fire department. He says, uh, yeah, we got somebody to cover for you. You're covered, kid. I'm like, like, like I'm fuck? fired or oh, no, like they got a time <laughs> trade to cover for me. Wow. They walked up to the kitchen table in the morning to a bunch of old fuckers that were sitting there at central station and said, Hey, the new guy's wife's having a baby he needs coverage. I never forget one of the old guys at Oris. He just retired battalion chief. His grandfather was the chief. His brother was a captain. His grandsons are on the job. Both of them. He said, Chief, I'll work for him, but we have to. That's when the new guys that I came on with figured out, you better step up and do what the wow. fuck's right here. Yeah. Because we didn't know. Like, you shit, right. you didn't know. Yeah, and that's setting the tone. Yeah. That's, setting the, like, that's where ownership we were talking about earlier. Yeah, Jimmy Podbreaker stepped up and worked for me. I had to pay that day back, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure he and, let you uh, know, too. Oh, he did. <laughs> so I have this baby, and, and like nobody gives a shit, right? So... That's a big deal in your life, right? I think oh, you guys yeah. understand that. So I go back to work the next shift day. It's three days later. Captain Wallace comes down. And Captain Wallace is probably 50 at the time. And I'm telling you guys, you do not fuck with Captain Wallace. You would rather poke hot shit up a panther's ass than fuck with him. <laughs> when, he, when he says something, you do it. He yells, who's Niemeyer? And I raised my hand. He asked me, are you in the system? You're moving to medic one. Uh, one guy called in sick. You're covering. Fuck, I didn't even know what medic one was. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know. You're working with Van Horn. I don't know who this guy is. I've never met this man in my life. I don't know Captain Wallace from anybody. I just moved my, my, my gear over to medic one, and, and Van Horn comes down the stairs, and he says, hey, you're with, who's Niemeyer? You're with me. Let's go. And we leave. So you, you were assigned to the engine that day? When you're a rover in Aurora, when you're new, you're assigned to anything that moves. That thing moves out of the station, your ass better be on it. It's as simple as that. But then you got... You got I got assigned to Medic 1, which was like being put in hell. For, for that day? or For that day. Okay. So, which was strange at the time, right? Like, it's kind of unprecedentedly strange. So I, I'm... I don't know anything about writing reports. I've never seen a report. I've never run a call on the Aurora Fire Department. I don't know how we do anything. Chucky Van Horn, who I still say is the best paramedic Aurora, second best paramedic Aurora has ever seen. <laughs> uh, but the, were you the driver or the attendant? At, oh, you the... listen, in Aurora, you don't even think about getting in the driver's seat when you're new. That's not <laughs> oh, an yeah. option. Oh, hell no. <laughs> you just sit out and shut up and you do what you're told. Mm. We go on calls and he's laughing at me. You know, he's been on the job, I don't know, eight, 10 years. He's a seasoned guy and he's very good. And he's telling me what we're doing. Well, I don't have a login to write reports. You're backed up six reports. They're in my pocket. You don't even know what the hell to say or do. He's kind of, he gives me his login, says, figure it out. That's how you learned in Aurora. So I'm like, all right. Mm -hmm. Well, in Aurora, you have to pass a practical exam after Whenever you decide you're ready, you have to pass a practical exam on the engine and the truck. Anything on the truck, anything on the engine's free game. And those officers and that chief can ask you anything about that engine. If you don't know it, you're, you're marked off. You'll fail. So I worked, we, we all work very hard at that. Everybody does. 
I got through that. And you go into what's called a roving pool or a floating pool, whatever you guys call it. Relief. And relief, yes. So you're just, every day you're sent wherever you're there's an opening. In. You're just yeah. filling in. And you're meeting guys. You're just meeting the guys, right? Which was awesome. I loved that How job. How many stations are in Aurora? There's nine stations. Really? I, yeah. I didn't realize it. Yeah, nine stations, about 200. We fluctuate between 190 to 215 guys. Do you, do you happen to know what the population is out there? Just a little over 200,000. Wow. Yeah. So it's a nice, it's a good size. Big town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think at one time we were the second largest city. I couldn't speak to that now. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know. The one thing that's cool about Aurora is we have a lot of, um, of two-story homes that are multifamily that are chopped up, that are balloon frame, that are um, just, you never know if you're walking into an eight-unit building or a two-unit building. Yeah. You just never know. Right. And so you're just I surrounded by danger. You're just surrounded. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, um, it's, we called it back in the early nine, or late 90s, early 2000s. It was the wild, wild west, man. We just went. We just went to shootings, and we, we did all of it. So it was awesome. You still have a huge gang problem out there? I, I can't speak to that. I, I I guess that would be a better question for the police. I see a lot of them, but I'll be honest, most of them deny, and I don't question. Yeah. We're trying to treat patients and go. Right. And being a captain now or even a lieutenant, my job really is seeing safety and covering for the guys and making sure we're safe. Back when I was a private, I was a little more in tune to that. Now, not so much. Right. Now I'm more... I'm more, hey, where's everybody yeah. at? What are they doing? And and that's a big change. That's a huge change. Have you guys changed that system of, you know, hey, the new guy's nothing. Um, he doesn't really get brought in, like, through education. You just kind of throw it. Or is that still, the, the like, the culture? And, no. Our culture has not changed one bit. Yeah. When you're new, they don't give a rat's ass So you still you have are. the guy jumping on the ambulance yes. being, like, figure it out? yes. Okay. Yes. So I will say what we've done a better job of is is understanding when guys come in with experience when they don't. So guys like me that that are officers now that came in with experience, I think we realize that, hey, these guys have something to offer. Right. I tell all my guys, listen, and you worked with me. None of us are as smart as all of us. If you see something, I want to hear it, right? Listen, on a fire scene... I'm your captain, I'm your lieutenant, you're gonna do what I say. But damn it, if you see it, I gotta see it. I gotta I gotta hear it. Right. I, I need to know, right? If you see something I don't, I gotta know. And I'm not too proud to say that, right? And guys will get hung up on that shit. But listen, uh, none of us are as smart as all of us. Listen to your people. I have some great guys. Every shift I've worked on, these guys are top-notch guys. They ambulance calls, fire calls regular routine calls, they know, listen to them. They will tell you um, what you're pulling into, especially if it's bad. Um, listen to your people. But I, I worked on an ambulance, and I was on Medic One for about eight years, which is um, was the busiest ambulance in the city at the time. We have added an ambulance since and kind of taken some pressure off. We the greatest thing about the city of Aurora back when I worked on there in the late 90s, early 2000s was not only did you run all the medic calls, you also ran all the fires. And when you ran a fire as a medic in Aurora, you were unaccounted for. The chiefs never cared what you did as long as you were working. 
As long as your ass was sweating and you were in gear and you were working, they didn't care. Go with the engine, go with the truck. Grab that officer, say, I'm with you. And you were gone. It was so much fun. We don't allow that anymore. I'm telling you guys, that was so much fun. You guys I were would, the cowboys, huh? It was so much fun. So you were you were on the ambulance until like somebody lower than you kicked you off? Yes. Was that it? Well, you made a decision, right? So there was it was always your option. You came off or you stayed on. Technically, at one time, I was assigned to truck two. I decided to stay on the medic. Because for me in Aurora, the best part of our job is you could be both. You're a medic and a fireman. Think about it. That's the yeah. greatest thing you could possibly want to be. You run all the medic calls and you get to be a fireman too. Right. It's a little different now. Our medics are kind of held back a little bit and they're required to, to fill our two in, two out, or maybe fill our RIT teams. It's a, they're more accounted for now. I can say that it's safer now. I can say that it was more fun then. Do your, medic, do your <laughs> medics sure. hit the hydrant for you? Uh, they better not if they're doing their fucking job. Yeah. They better have get their gear on, and they better be the two in, two out until I assign them different or the chief assigns them different. Because um, some departments have the medical right. account, and that's their responsibility. Correct. Our first in engine is responsible for suppression, right, attack, our, our first in truck is responsible. And this is what I always say about the city of Aurora. Think about this, boys. When, and some of you guys are on Chicago. In the city of Aurora, you get two engines, a truck, an ambulance, and a chief. And if the second chief is on duty, you'll get him. But if not, he's off. You're going to get 12 guys at a structure fire. You're going to get no more than six guys inside. Two on the first in engine, two on the first in truck, two on the second in engine, which are on the backup line. So what's your first in engine doing? They're putting out the fire. What's your first in truck doing? They're on primary. Our primary driver, your driver of the truck goes to the rear, forces the door, does a quick primary to the rear, gets a ladder to wherever it is he thinks I need it, and then he's outside vent. Kill the gas on your way around. So when there's water on the fire, he's outside vent. So think about that. 12 guys we're putting out fires with. Right. If we decide as a captain, an officer, a private, it doesn't matter. If we decide to upgrade an alarm to an additional, you're getting two engines and, and a truck and a chief and a medic. So there's your additional resources. Uh, resources but yeah. they're going to be outside for writ. So when you go on bell, you're coming out. In Aurora, we, it's rare that we do that shit. And most guys will tell you, the fires are out in five to 10 minutes, right? Let's be honest. Five to right. 10 minutes, you've kicked its ass. Otherwise, you're fucking doing something wrong, right? Or it's a, you're circling it and you're surrounding it. Truck goes up, building goes down, right? In Aurora, we ain't buying that shit. We're going in. We're going after it. So you get 12 guys. Well, think about it. Only six are inside. One guy's working the truck on the outside. The two medics are satisfying their job. One may be helping with the hydrant because that second driver of the truck on the second engine, second engine's job is to secure a water supply. Sometimes that takes more than one guy. Yeah. So one medic may fall back to help. One medic may go with the truck. It's all about communication. Where's he at? What's he doing? My guys are very, I'm very specific on where I want my guys and what I'm doing. Some officers are different. We're all different that way, but we have SOPs to follow that we have to kind of, that kind of dictate us. Yeah. Um, but I've always said Aurora has done more with less than any department I've ever seen because those first initial 12 guys that show up, 
they're going to put that fire out and they're going to make the rescues. They're going to get the ambulance off. They're going to save the people and they're going to put that fire out. And if they don't, either shit's gone really bad or we're really pissed because I'm just telling you from my perspective, if I'm the first in captain or second in captain and I come in on backup line or primary, that's my fire. And when I go on bell, I have young guys with me. We've trained them to know how long do you go after your bell goes off? How long do you have on bell? If it, let's be honest, bread and butter fires are single family residential home. I know where the doors are. I know where the windows are. When you go on bell, I know where the door's at. I know how much time I got with you as a new guy. If you got seven or eight minutes left, suck that goddamn thing to your face. And then we're going outside. My immediate conversation with the chief is, hey, I need two bottles to the front door. We're turning around. We're going back. They'll meet us. The, whoever is out there on writ or whatever it is they're doing, they'll meet us wherever we say. We'll turn around. We'll bend over. They'll change our bottles, and we're gone. Yeah. And there's been multiple fires in our city where guys, where I, myself, and other guys have done five bottles. That's not uncommon. And... And that's what I say to guys. When you think you're a badass, let's see you after your fifth bottle. Let's see how you're doing after that. No matter what your age is, right? Right. So that's what I think is significant about Aurora. Balloon frame, right? Weather conditions. Same thing everybody deals with. But in Aurora, when that's your fire, you take it real personal. And I can tell you I've had multiple calls where we have guys go in um, – and miss a rescue or not be able to get the rescue in Aurora, we take that shit very personally. Nobody, no citizen is ever going to be left in our home, in their home burning with us standing outside. Guys will push themselves to the limits beyond belief to get that person out of there, dead or alive. You're coming with us. I've seen it. I've seen it a hundred times. I've done it. And Things I've seen guys doing our job are nothing short of miracles. Nothing. Not just fires, but ambulance calls. I still say we have some of the best firefighter paramedics in the country. And I stand by that. And, and I say, listen, take your best 12. I'll take my best 12. Let's go. And let's see who ends up. I may lose, but you're going to come out knowing you're in a fight. Is, uh, a medic, is being a medic one of the requirements for Aurora now? Or it is a- not. Our, our city believes that everybody in our community should have equal opportunity. Do you guys send them to medic school? We will. Yeah. They can request to go to medic school. We have to send a minimum of two. Um, well, I should have to read the contract on that, but I believe we send a maximum of two for every year. Um, I, I recommend everybody do that. I've had the most fun in my career on the ambulance that I could have been ever on an engine or a truck. I've, I've done equal time on truck. I've done equal time on ambulance. When you send 12 guys to a fire, when you're on a backup line, all those guys better have hooks, right? Because you're a truck guy. You're pulling ceiling. You're opening. You're finding spot fires. You're doing what you got to do. So being on an engine in Aurora isn't specific to just being an engine. You got to be a truck too, which I think is super, at least for me, being in Aurora was perfect because I got to be a medic. I got to be a fireman. I got to be an engine guy. I got to be a truck guy all at the same fire. To me, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And if you pull up on an ambulance and somebody's screaming in the basement on fire and you're a medic, you're in the medic unit and you're dressed, you're gone. It's as simple as that. Our job is life safety. 
so so and, and a lot of people don't realize that like you know outside of major cities in the country right. i mean we're we're we don't have the opportunity to be like uh, i'm always the pipe guy i'm always on this engine i'm always doing this like you're hey you know what i need you on the roof now you know you're good okay correct Get back and up in there. aurora we don't have an engineer rank so if you come in that day and i have and i have a five-man station two medics three guys on the engine if if I have three new guys and I want to put two guys on the ambulance and one guy in the engine, they give me the flexibility to do that. They ask that I call the chief and let him know what I'm doing so the roster reflects that. Mm -hmm. So you may be driving tomorrow. You may be riding tail the next day. When I came on the job, all the officers were on the pipe, always. You couldn't fight that thing away from the officers. Really? Oh, when I came on the job, you physically had to fight so, uh, it. How out many of their years hands. were you on Aurora before you even touched the pipe? Um, so I was very lucky because I came on the job as an older guy at 34, and the officers that I had allowed me to do that because they knew I had experience. Plus, I, when I got off the engine, I'll be real honest with you guys, I was closer to the thing than they were. I grabbed whatever I grabbed before <laughs> they said anything because I knew what they were doing. Yeah. And and uh, so I was on it right away. And once they see you can do it, they'll let you do it. But I'm telling you, I fought with guys. I'm physically getting screamed and yelled at by officers to give me that thing, and I, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and we, we don't do that so much anymore. Like our generation now um, doesn't – we understand our job is not the pipe, right? We understand, although I'm not afraid. I, I'm not going to tell you that I wouldn't take it a few <laughs> times. I would just to be stupid, but um, – uh, that was a generational thing. When I came on the job, the officer always had the pipe. When when Van Horn and I used to run the streets, uh, Engine Seven's not too far from us. When they would get a fire in their still district, Van Horn and I would run to the ambulance as fast as we could to beat them there. So when they pulled up, we'd grab the line and go, <laughs> and he'd get fucking fear. Jeff Mackey. I love the man's. He passed away. I love him. He's like a father. I love the man. He told me, you know, 28 goddamn years on the job, and I got to run to the truck now because I got two fucking idiots next to me that are trying to beat me to my calls. That shit happened all the time. He'd be fighting with us at the door. So, uh, that, is, it, is it like that by you, Corey? You guys, uh, the officer goes in on the pipe? No, no. I mean, well, it depends. It depends on where, if we're at minimum, um, there might be the opportunity where, yeah, you're, you're one of, Two guys. So when you're, are be so when you're short, you're all excited. You, you're, uh, you know, I, uh, I feel like I kind of get a little tunnely when I'm yeah. on the pipe. I kind of like the. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the backup guy. I'm yeah. always the backup guy because I really like to to look at everything. I, yeah. I feel like I get a little little focused in when I'm on that pipe. Personally, that's and that's his job, right? I would agree with that 100. percent I mean, Where should the officer be? I mean, really, let's think about this. What's the officer's job? He's got to watch your back, right? He's got to watch the surroundings. The officer should be in front. How do you know where you're going if I'm not telling you? Right. How do you know if the floor is sound if I'm not checking it? How do you know the fire's not above our head? I see engine officers all the time going into buildings without a hook. They all got a halligan. That's cool. The door's already forced because the truck did it for me. If they're, any, if they're worth a shit as a truck, right? If they're not, we'll have that conversation. But on 90% of the calls I go on, the residential house fires. Yeah. All yeah. four of us sitting in this room right now, how long would it take you to force a residential door? 
I'm going to turn around and kick that son of a bitch, yeah. and I'm gone. With the tool? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The tool is my foot. Yeah. But control the door. That's something I've learned the hard way, right? But but if the truck is our, if the door is forced, what can I do with a hook that I can't do with a halicin? Mm-hmm. I can pull ceiling. I sure as hell can't pull it with a hook, but how do I know the fire's above my head if I can't pull it? Mm-hmm. I can break a window with a hook. I can sound the floor with a hook. I can break the windows. I, c- I can do anything I need with a hook. Can't do it with a halogen. You don't find it cumbersome to crawl around and get through these So my, and stuff? my hook is four and a half feet long. I have one made for me. Okay. My guys made it for me. Rob Sittler made a hook just for me. Huh. Like an officer's hook. Well, it's, it's Chuck's hook, right? So <laughs> what's our houses? Our houses in Aurora predominantly have eight-foot ceilings. I'm... I used to be six feet tall before I turned into a midget, right? <laughs> well, if I have a four-foot hook and I'm six feet tall, what's a four-foot hook? It's perfect for me, four and a half feet. I can pull a ceiling, right? Think, common sense. I can't teach you common sense. If your head's in your ass, I can't help you, right? Think. I take a hook. I'm not telling guys what to do. I'm not telling them how to do it. But if you don't know what's over your head, you don't know what you're passing, mm. right? Think. That's what I'm telling guys, yeah. right? That's yeah, what I tell then, my guys. Right, and early in your career, you found out the, right. the hard way things sneaking the up behind you. Well, I was just about to say, you probably have that mentality because right. you got you got trapped. I did. So think about your training fires, guys. What are we training in? We're training in cans. Mm-hmm. We're training in structures that have cement ceilings because they don't want this shit getting away from us, right? What's the one thing you can't do in training? Can't pull the ceiling. So what's everybody taking? Right. They're taking a hook. That's cool, and I get it. But if you think about going into a residential house fire, how are we pulling ceiling with a hook? We're not. Unless you've got a straight tip with you, which most guys take now, and you're blowing the drywall through, and it's half-inch drywall, you you don't know. And then once you do that, you've changed conditions anyway. So I have no idea what's up there. But what if it's plaster lath? What if it's plaster lath with two layers of drywall on it? Because I've seen that oh, yeah. numerous times. Yeah. You ain't getting through that with a, with a straight tip. Every, every house built in the 50s. Right. That's what you're looking at. How about the rehabs, the remodels? You're not getting through those. Right. When you hit that thing with a hook and it sounds like a concrete floor and you're in a residential house, what's that telling me? I'm in a balloon frame house, right? I'm in something that's going to require a little bit more here. Think, right? Because we're going to kill guys if we don't do it. And that's the last thing we ever want to see here. You guys have dealt with that more than we ever have. Our last guys were killed years and years ago. Yeah. Um, we don't ever want to see that. We've had guys hurt bad enough. I've been hurt bad enough. We don't ever want to see that, ever. Well, before before we jump ahead to um, May of this year, mm-hmm. uh, you said you had a, a, a couple – <laughs> worth mentioning saves. A couple. Yeah, so... We, we would probably sit down with you for eight <laughs> yeah. more hours. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Chief Kranitz is going to strangle the shit out yeah, of Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into that story. So uh, We did everything we, wrong here. Um, <laughs> we Saturday night in the city of Aurora is pizza night. Every city and every station in the city of Aurora makes homemade pizzas on Saturday night. And uh, I'm telling you, if you think you make a better pizza, you better be prepared to fight because these <laughs> boys are going to fight. And... We believe, every station believes their pizza's the best, and we'll fight every station. I mean fight physically to see who's the best. We had pizza Sauce night at Central Station. cheese, oh, everything. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, dude, it's, it's everything. You, you'd, be, you'd be shocked to see how serious this is. <laughs> so um, 
Saturday night, we're sitting around, we're eating pizza, and I stuffed my face because we all overeat pizza night. Right after dinner, we're sitting at the table. The tones drop for a structure fire at Jennings Terrace um, Nursing Home, which is not six, seven blocks from the station. And it's a confirmed fire. And this place probably has 30, 40, 50 units. It's a, it's a one-story. We know from training that it's, a, it's kind of contained, that it's, um, that it's if the door is closed, it's going to stay in one unit. Yeah. Gary Kranitz and I, Chief Kranitz, he's the chief now, the big chief. He's going to beat my ass. Him and I take off like our ass is on fire. And him and I worked at Tri-State together. So he'll, he'll deny this to this day. Chief Kranitz is extremely athletic and extremely fast. And, and I whooped his ass in a race at Tri-State, and he denies it to this day. But I whooped his ass, and I had witnesses. So I don't care what he says. It's live now. I whooped his ass. Right, going we on got to this here. fire, and I'm and we're talking on the way there, and we beat everybody there. It's right down the street, and we said this is contained to one unit. This is we're just gonna duck in and take a peek. We get on the scene, we size it up, we walk through the vestibule, and there's probably six, seven, eight people walking down the hallway and smoke rolling over their heads, and I'm telling you, it was ugly. And they're in walkers and wheelchairs. We had nothing on. We had no helmets, no gear, no coats, no pants. We were in our goddamn medic clothes. We're in regular uniforms. We took off after these people and started dragging them into a common area. It was a, uh, it was sort of a, a holding area where they had dinner, like the cafeteria. Interior. Interior. Right. We let the incoming engines and trucks know that it was the end unit on the structure, and that end unit was facing Broadway. But if you'd made the left and went up the street, you could easily think it was there too. So we kind of let them know where it was at and how they wanted to attack it. If the door was closed to this unit, it would have been contained and there would have been no issue. The door was wide open. When he lit, when the fire started, for whatever reason it was, I don't remember, he panicked and ran out the door, and the door didn't close. So it was coming out into the hallway. And I think we we probably snatched six or seven people, I'm guessing. I, you know, they're all going to ass rate me for this because I don't remember the number. This is in 19, maybe 2000, 2001. We get down to the end of the hall, and it's chugging pretty good now. And we're taking some smoke, and I can hear a guy in the unit across the hallway on his phone. I can hear him talking. Now, had we left him, he'd have been fine. He had no idea the place was on fire. But we're idiots. We're young. I blow this guy's door open with my foot, completely exposing him. He's on the phone. I said, hey, you're coming with us. And he said, no, we're not. We both grabbed him under the arms and took off down the hallway with him. Well, I snuck, I sucked a snoot full and, and I had to, it was bad. So I had to, I snuck outside to puke. I had to throw up. I had just eaten too much pizza and I had to puke, <laughs> man. But I didn't want him to see me because I knew he'd rat me out. Oh yeah, you can't. So I hid around the back and I threw up and then I went back in. Well, fuck, he saw me. <laughs> so we finish up the fire. Battalion, the, the chief at the time, Chief Reckenmacher again, this guy's pissed, and he, he's pissed off. So Chief Rex asks us if we'll apologize. 
I'm like, well, I guess. I mean, I guess we will. I mean, what the hell am I going to say? Two years out of job. No. So I go tell the guy, hey, I'm really sorry. And he starts chewing my ass. And Gary's standing there. He ain't saying nothing. And uh, Chief Crane, it's sorry. I don't want to get in trouble for that. And uh, so we leave. I'm not at the station for five goddamn minutes. I'm in the shower. And the phone starts. Oh, I heard you're a puker. You're a puss. I mean, he they, it started. He ratted me out. I'm telling you, he ratted me out faster than you could be ratted out, man. And I, I was like, you son of a bitch. I'm 100, telling you. 189 to 214 guys I were calling you up. I puked my guts out. Yeah, I absolutely puked my guts out trying to hide. And uh, so what, what did we do, right? We did it all wrong. We're in no gear. We have no equipment. These people were, they're in trouble, right? We just, in Aurora. But the funny thing about that call was nobody said anything about it. Not a word. Chief's like, great job. (laughs) I'm like, I don't think this is what I would consider us being under the parameters of doing this correctly. But, hey, man, whatever. I mean, like, I, I, I laughed. Like, we didn't, back in that day, there were no award ceremonies. There were no, listen, the, 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 the truth of the matter is they throw awards at cops like nickels. They throw awards at firefighters like man covers, <laughs> manhole covers. And I'm not trying to disrespect cops. They deserve everything they get. But that's the, that's the, that's the truth, right? Think <laughs> right. about it. Right. So we do all this, and it doesn't even, like nobody <laughs> says shit. Like that's just, hey. The one thing about Aurora, and Chicago's probably the same in the other cities, get your ass back in service. Let's go. Right. You got to get ready for the next uh, call. Oh, yeah. there's no good job. You right. got to be shitting me, right? Like, that's your <laughs> fucking job. Do it. Shut yeah. up and get moving. Um, so, so that one was, that was pretty new on the job, you know. And, and two uh, years on, you said? Yeah, I'm, I, I think it was probably 2000-ish. And uh, me and Chief Kreenitz, we, <laughs> we pulled that off and, and never got... I thought, well, we're going to get our ass chewed out because we didn't even have a goddamn helmet on, but that, that never that never came into question. Like, that wasn't an odd. Like, they were fine with that, yeah. you know. So um, that was one of them. And uh, we've had a few where, you know, you get to – you just go. And we'd pull people um, without hose line protection or truck guys there. Nobody's there. You're alone. And not only would we pull them – We'd get them outside, put them on a cot, and then treat them. Drop your shit and treat them. I mean, we did that shit a lot, and I, I can't tell you exactly specifically what they are, but uh, it's it's amazing how fast that ambulance can get there <laughs> relative to our stuff. Like with us, yeah. just hauling ass yeah. in an engine. Yeah, like, you've never you know, seen some, some of us drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had um, get sidetracked. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's um, so me and uh, me and AJ were actually working one day um, on the ambulance, and uh, we got a call for um, for cardiac arrest. Older woman, or not older woman, but got a call for a woman in cardiac arrest. We got there; um, she was young, fifty years old, something. Um, she didn't uh, family didn't speak English at all, and uh, me and AJ showed up. The husband who also no English at all, had done what he thought was CPR for a couple minutes before we got there. And he was doing a great job. The guy was doing a great job. I teach CPR, and I have to somehow trudge through the idea that me teaching 
is actually doing anything for anyone relative to this guy who's just <laughs> never seen. You probably saw a half episode of whatever, some movie. You saw it on the office. It. Yeah, no, he saw it in the <laughs> office, so you got to go. And um, so me and AJ are, are working. We pull up. Uh, we continue CPR. Um, I don't believe that for whatever reason, which was very uncommon of me and him, but we were unable to get a line on this person. Um, kept CPR going. We were just hammering on CPR, us, the firemen at the time. This is before IOs? Oh, yeah, yeah, before IOs. Um, and and again, we were big EJ guys, me and AJ, yep. so for whatever reason we didn't. Um, but, yeah, so literally a juiced up, BLS care on the way to the hospital. We got the woman there. Um, she ended up walking out of the hospital three days later. Um, That's to, awesome. Yeah, to, to make this long story even longer. Um, so she walked out of the hospital. Great story, you know, for this woman. I At that point, I'd had a lot of cardiac arrests that, you know, I call them saves. You know, they, they probably never left the ICU, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you guys know how that goes. But this woman walked out of the hospital. We were amazed. I That's think AJ awesome. actually saw her. She had, she had weld marks on her chest. And um, we got a call the year after. I think I was only paramedic for a couple of years. We got a call um, not too long after that about like, oh, you know, the, the hospital is doing an award ceremony. Every year they do this. We nominate you guys, and I'm relatively young. I'm like... Oh my God, that's a, that's amazing! I, I, we actually had this save, and, and um, I get there. Every other department in the systems there, everyone goes through. Oh, you know, the Maywood had a good job. You know, uh, Cicero did a good job on this one, and then they get to us, and they're like, "Oh yeah, um, uh, this fire department they worked a cardiac arrest. Here's your certificate." And I'm like, "That's it, huh?" And I'm like, "Cool award." I'm like. Yeah. Good, good to know. And then every, like, at that point, you start realizing, oh, like, everyone gets a, this, this is the trophy, it's huh? It's a everyone gets the trophy. trophy. Yeah. yeah. So I think the next yes. year we had something, kind of, like, not similar, but kind of similar. And they're like, oh, you know, we, we got this award ceremony coming up next year. I'm like, I don't even want to fucking go. I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. And they're like, well, no, you got, like, a nice breakfast. I'm like, hey, hey, fucking take your award, yeah. fucking shove it up your ass. I'm out on this fucking award. Yeah. <laughs> And that, and to that point, right? We we say, you know, like the police get awards like thrown around like nickels right. of firefighters, like manhole covers. But I'll tell you this: in Aurora, if if and and so there's so many traditions in Aurora that would make you guys laugh your ass off, right? If it's your birthday, you got to buy cake and ice cream. Does that you, make any fucking sense? You have to buy the. Oh, cake oh yeah. Ice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if it's your fire, you have to buy. Right. <laughs> Kid, you worked under me. You trained under me. Right. Tell them. Tell You're em. buying the first round. Yes. Speak. You can talk. I know you can talk. Cody. Um, no, he can't talk. He doesn't. He, <laughs> anything you do, you buy. Yeah. That's why you don't say shit. Right. Don't you tell don't, me you have a kid. Oh, fuck, no. oh, my God. Are you kidding me? You don't ever want to say anything in Aurora like, oh, my God, I've never done that before. The ears go ding, and they're uh, like, wait a minute, that stakes. Spank this one. Well, what if you leave a tool behind at the fire? What's, oh, what's the consequences well, in Aurora for that? You don't want any part of that if I'm the yeah, captain. Oh Your ass is going back to find it. I don't give a shit what time of day it is. I got so, a, we, were, we were trying to cut some open places a... Some make uh, you, you got to buy a case of beer. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. Or uh, you leave a Halligan behind? <laughs> you leave it by, you know. We were trying to, uh, we had to get new a, um, uh, I, I forgot. We were trying to get into some place uh, with, a, with a fence that had a chain wrapped around it. 
So one of the guys, one of the guys that I went to the academy with, he was trying. I think it was bolt cutters. He went at initially to try and cut this chain off of the fence, and he was just having a motherfucker of a time. <laughs> he could not get it right, you know. Every fucking time, I. I've been sitting on this fucking one chain link for eight years. I'm going to have to hold on to it for fucking 22. I, yeah, I find I it would. every couple of years. I'm like, oh, up, here it is. I remember I got I to gotta hold on to this one for the retirement party in 22 more fucking years. I would. You know, well, and, and that's the thing about us for, for what, what was so, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I would tell the truth. The, the caveat for me to go to Aurora was the insurance on retirement. I looked at that when I was a young guy. I was smart enough. I was old enough to understand that's important shit, right? Yeah. We didn't make the money then. I was making more where I was at at Tri-State, but I knew that was going to change. I knew things were going to change. It was about the future, not the present, right? And I think if guys in our academy and our young guys could understand how important, this is like the golden ticket, man. This is the golden goose. Yeah. You, you guys got to understand how important it is. And and when Mrs. Jones calls at 3 a.m. because she needs help up because she fell down getting out of bed to go to the shitter, get your ass over there and pick her up. Get her in the bathroom. Get her back to bed. Sign the release and get your ass home. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the whining about it. I don't want to hear the complaining about it. That's your goddamn job. And if it's not your job, then whose is it? Right. And that's why you make what we do now today. And I'll tell you, in Aurora, our chiefs do a great job of protecting us, of supporting us. We, again, to be a firefighter, a paramedic, a truck guy, an engine guy, come on, who gets to do that? All one day sometimes. In one day, on one call. Think about it. You can do that on one call in our city. It, in one two-hour span, you get to be all three. And nobody questions anything you're doing. That's honestly, that's the most amazing part of this job in general is that like, you know, any other fucking job, any other job, uh, you know, I, I work the desk. I, I gotta, I gotta get the fucking TPS reports. Like I'm going to fucking, eh, this is going to suck like any other job. But when you're a fucking fireman or a paramedic and you get a, you get a job that comes in, you're excited to get three in the morning. You're that's like, get the fuck up. That's you know, let's go. It's, it's been no other job I've ever seen where people get excited about working. And I waited 15 years to promote. I never was going to promote, ever. I loved what I was doing so much. But then you start looking as you get older, when you get to be 50 years old, 48, 49, 50 years old, you start thinking, man, it would really benefit my family if I could really get this promotion. Plus, you know, when you, when you die, because all of us die at a young age, I, I certainly have no aspirations. I mean, look at me. I'm in a cast on one side. I got scars <laughs> on my head on the other side. I'm beat to fuck. I know I'm not going to live You walked long. in like Tina Turner when you fucking walked I get in this it. front. <laughs> I get it. That's for my family, right? They get what you leave behind. Yeah. So think about it. This is about them, not me. When my son Chase was born, I told my wife, my life is over. This is about them now. This is about him. I'm done. I've done what I want to do. I came from nothing, and I've made something. That's all I want for them. I want them to have something. And, and we want to applaud the rescues and the saves and the, all the stuff we did. But I got to tell you, without, without the team in place, none of that happens. None of it. Right. And I'm talking about, guys, I'm talking about, we'll get to that rescue you want to talk about in May. 
that's one of many, right? That I don't even know how you guys got a hold of, but somehow you did. I have no social media. If you want to talk to me, call my ass. You got to page him. I don't have a paper anymore. <laughs> I have a cell phone, but I don't have Facebook, stupid book. I call it stupid book, Snapgram, Instachat, any of that shit. I don't have any. My dad calls it Facemail. Call me. You want to say something, call me. And if I want to tell you something, I'm going to tell you. Just be prepared for the truth because you're going to get it. Yeah. And if you don't agree, that's okay. We can agree to disagree. That's fine. I'll talk to you. Just call me. Get my goddamn cell phone number right here. I don't care. I do not care. But listen, don't. I'm not going to shit in your yard and stamp it guaranteed. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you the truth, my perception of the truth. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that this is what I saw. This is what I did. Numerous guys on this job in the fire service I respect, and I learned from every single one of them. I'm alive today because of lessons I learned from them. Uh, Every single one of them. There's no question about that. I would, I would give, I, I won't even name names for you because what I'm going to do is I'm going to lose somebody's name or forget and disrespect somebody. <laughs> right. I'm not going to do Undercut that. someone else. I'm not going to do it. Because they got a cool name. Every single one of them gave me something. And I'll be honest with you guys, I learned something. I learned probably more from the poor officers that I had than the, than the good ones because I knew what I didn't want to be if I became that guy. And, and I learned how to do this job. And the other thing I would say is don't ever, ever, ever ask your guys to do something you wouldn't do. I'll be totally honest with you guys. I've never cleaned more shitters since I became a lieutenant or a captain <laughs> than I did as a private, <laughs> ever. Because as a medic, you didn't have time to clean a shitter. You were gone. Yeah. As a captain, as a lieutenant, I clean right. shitters, man. And if you're going to tell your guys to do it, you damn sure better do it. Yeah. If you're going to throw your guys in that hole, you better damn sure get in there. Well, right. I, th- I think um, that I guess that would be as good a time as any for us to take a break. Yeah, I mean, poor let's, Chuck's uh, got a drink that he hasn't yeah, gotten to at yeah, all. Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break <laughs> here. All right, well, we're back. So we've refreshed our drinks. We've uh, had a smoke, right, Corey? And when I say we, I mean you? Me, okay. yeah. Okay, so uh, we're back. We're just going to jump right back into this with um, Captain Chuck Niemeyer. Um, Chuck, so... We'll just jump ahead to May 11th, 2020. Um, where were you during that day, on that day? Yeah, so um, actually we, uh, my crew and I had gone to, uh, I don't know where the medics were. I think they were in quarters, actually. Um, we were at the store shopping for our chow. Um, we were actually on our way back. Um, the call came in. Uh, I was actually... Uh, riding tail. I had one of my privates acting up. Uh, Private Molitor was acting up as the officer that day. That's something I do a lot for the guys that are going to get promoted or guys that I'm trying to bug bite them to take a promotional test. Um, so I had you guys actually use ranks like private and stuff like we that? We do. Maybe? So private is a rank. Uh, lieutenant, private, lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, assistant chief, deputy chief, chief. That's where our ranks. Before you get private, are you probation or are you? So you're a probationary firefighter um, for your first year on the job, and and of course, then at that time you're an at will employee, so you can be let go for any reason at any time when you're on probation. You don't um, have any union protection at that point. Uh, absolutely that. not. They are actually when you become when you have a year on the job, you go into a union meeting, and our union has to vote you into the union to see if you're going to become a union member. 
um, one time in our 160-plus-year uh, lifetime, yeah. I've heard one member not be voted in. He was immediately released by the fire department. You guys don't have anybody fair share or anything like that? Absolutely. Uh, no, we did it one time. That member since retired. Okay. Okay, so you guys are shopping so Correct. So is, we were at the like store. Eleven o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it, it was between a ten and eleven. I can't. I can't remember the exact time. Um, I was 11, sitting 11, in the back. Eleven ten a.m. is yes, the exact time. There you go. <laughs> um, and the guy had acting up. Um, and this is really my fault, not his. But um, I, I have been in the habit of putting my gear outside on the, on the doghouse by the pump panel. Uh, prior this instead of stuffing it in the cab because we're pretty crowded in there, we were driving, call came in for a structure fire at an address in town that we weren't too far from. Um, you could hear the dispatcher that was dispatching this calls a veteran dispatcher. I know her from years and years ago. She's been on the job longer than I have. You could tell that this was a significantly urgent call. It came in with a girl trapped in the basement, uh, heavy fire. Uh, it came in as a child trapped. So we didn't have an idea of an age, but we just knew of a child. Um, uh, the private riding tail looked back. The guy, my engineer I had driving looked back and said, hey, are we gonna stop? I said, we can't stop, we gotta go. We were too close. Um, it, you could tell the urgency. You could hear the screaming in the background on the dispatch. Um, we we decided to drive to the call. When that type of call comes in at Aurora, we there's a race, right? Engine one, engine five, truck two, medic five, battalion one, and then EMS one, if he's in service, is going to go. Um, so we get our 12 or 13 guys um, our battalion chief arrived on the scene to say he had heavy smoke showing um, and he could hear screaming in the basement. What had happened is somebody had set this fire in the basement in multiple locations. The girl was in the basement. Um, she had come up to get out. She couldn't get out uh, because the person who set the fires locked the door and the deadbolt when she went to grab the handle and the deadbolt, it burned her hands. She got scared, ran back down. All I knew at the time and all we knew at the time pulling up was that there was a, a child in the basement. Um, when we pulled up, I could see uh, Chief Demas was at the seaside of the building um, forcing the door, and I could hear him. You could hear... Uh, if any of you know Chief Demas, he's he's a veteran firefighter. He's been around a long time. He un I understand Chief Demas and I have been on multiple fires together. He, I understand the urgency in his voice, and there was some urgency there. I knew things were bad. When I got out of the vehicle, my medics were getting dressed. Um, I and I had, I can't remember who it was. I apologize. Um, I know one of them was a new guy. I barked at them to let's fucking go. And I yelled, or I just barked at the, the kid riding officer to get dressed, let's go. And I took off around the corner to the seaside. Chief Demas was there. Our uh, deputy chief was already there. He was in town. They were actually having a meeting. And our, our chief, Kranitz, was pulling up on the scene. I saw them as I came around the corner. Um, were you first engine? We were first engine, yes. And we should have been first engine. That was our still district. So that 
that really was the mission first to get there first to get our job done. Um, I could hear her from the front of the building screaming, but when I got to the back, I couldn't hear anything. Um, when I got to the rear door on the seaside, Chief Demas was there. He had the door forced. Um, with him was also another battalion chief, Randy Leak, who also assisted in the door force. They had had the door shut. They were controlling it because there was heavy smoke pouring out of that door. I, uh, when I came around the corner, uh, Chief Demas was holding the doorknob, and he said, uh, "Chucky, we got to go." And you know, very very few people call me that, right? Like I'm I'm. There's very few people that ever say that to me like Chucky or Charlie. There's a few guys on the job. Chief Demas and I have been to a lot of calls together. He, when I, when he said that, I knew right away. I, I just put my... There was some urgency. There, it was bad. And when I snapped my... I had my Scott already over my head. The one thing that I didn't manage to do was get my uh, flash hood on, and I really wasn't that concerned about it. Based on conditions I saw... Um, this person who set the fire had set the fire in four or five different locations. So the upstairs was roaring, but she was clearly in the basement. And I just said, where is she? And, I, and he did tell me she was to the left when I got to the bottom of the stairs. I, he just said, you got to go. I went. My other guy was getting dressed. My, I just barked at the driver, get the line to the back door and charge it. Um, my two medics immediately grabbed their cot and came to the back to go with me. The private driving, the engineer, got the line to the back. My other guy who was acting up was getting dressed and coming. When I got down the stairs, I couldn't hear her anymore. There was clearly fire burning to my right side. The panels were kicked out of the bottom of the door, and it was getting pretty... I had zero visibility and the smoke was coming up the chimney out the door. The door was open because I had made entry. Um, when I got to the bottom, I yelled back to the chief, which way is she? And he yelled left, left, left. And then I could hear her. She started crying. I could hear her. I scooted across the basement floor to the left and I ran into a post. It was boxed out. The basement was finished. Um, I ran into her. And I said, come on, we have to go. And she said, um, I don't want to leave my dog. And I, I just said, if you, if you come with me, it, let me take you. I'll come back for the dog. I promise you I'll come back for the dog. Um, she started to kind of go down. I grabbed, I put an arm up under her armpits and I hooked her and just started walking backwards because the fire was behind me and it was getting fairly hot in the basement for me and gear. Um, do you have any tools with you at this point? I had my hook. Um, yeah, my, my the pat, Niemeyer the, hook. The Niemeyer hook, right? <laughs> right. I know they all think I'm a jag off for saying that, but I'm telling you right now it works. Um, I had to leave the hook because I was fairly busy. Um, I pulled her backwards um, to the stairs. When I got her to the staircase, I turned her forward facing up towards the stairs I ran my hand up between her legs and I just started running her up the stairs. At that time, truck two had arrived on the scene. I did not see them. I couldn't hear them. Um, and she was conscious the she, whole time. The conscious and talking to me. Wow. So, and I'll, I'll get to that because that's important. Um, 
I ran her up the stairs. As I was running her up the stairs, I could feel something bump in the back of my legs, like something was pushing me. That <laughs> This dog came with us and pushed me up the stairs. When I came out wow. the door, she had a cat in her arms, both arms, and the dog came with us. It looked like a damn, like a cartoon, man. I, I, I came out. She went right to the stretcher, head in the correct place. The cat was in her arms. The cat went to the left, and the dog went to the right, and they were out, man. The dog took off running. The cat took off running, and she was pissed about the dog and the cat. When I saw her, she was... Um, you know, I, I would guess five seven to five eight. She looked like to me like she was in her mid twenties to later twenties. At that moment, I thought I had the wrong person. I thought there was another person in the basement. I turned around and ran immediately back down the stairs. The hose line was sitting there. My tail guy was now there. He saw me. He came with me. But I went back on primary because I was convinced there was another person. Because they told me a kid. This was not a kid. Right. This was a grown woman. And, and your actor at that point was... I just I just went. You know, oh, okay. I, I didn't even... I, I had no... And, yeah. No, I, when I came out the door, she you immediately she went to the stretcher. Kid. I immediately turned around and went back because I, I legitimately thought there was a kid in there. When they said a kid, I'm thinking you're a thinking little kid. Of, yeah, you're thinking a little kid, not a 16-year-old. So no, a 15-year-old that was... She was a very... She was... I would have thought much older. Now, I didn't have a whole lot of time to analyze it, but she would have looked older to me. I immediately went back down the stairs. My private acting up came with me. We went down. I went to the right to the fire room, which was starting to get fairly shitty down there. And we were together, and and the truck, the truck company that arrived, arrived on the scene that helped me pull her out said, hey, they brought the hose line with, they had the wherewithal to pull the hose line with them. Captain Bono and his crew brought the hose line with them, which is in retrospect, probably what I should have done. However, when I'm on primary, I, I didn't have time for it. It was starting to get so bad down there. He told me, hey, I've got to put this fire out or we're in trouble. He, I could hear him. He was yelling at me, kind of barking at me. Um, I said, go, 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 and he put the fire out. I knew it was going to go to shit, but when I got to the back of the room, there was a doorway in the back that I was able to just duck out of him and me and my guy. We were able to duck out the back door and kind of search the rest of the basement looking. Well, they were trying to reach me the entire time through my radio to tell me the kid was out, that that was the kid, but because of the radio and the steam from the the hose line from the truck, my radio was shot. Well, there explain was, to people who don't understand the significance of what was happening. They're actually not putting water on the fire at this point because you're doing your search. Correct. And explain to them why why you don't want them to do so that. When, so when we go down there and I'm searching for someone or I'm looking and I'm trying to see, I have some limited visibility based on what I'm what I'm down there working in. It's hot, it's shitty, it's, it is bad. Me and uh, the private were working, private monitor were working. We had some limited visibility at our feet, very limited. But once you put water to that fire, it's gone. There is zero visibility and everything is gone. And if somebody's in there, you're going to steam burn them. You're going you're to burn them up. I was still convinced at that time that there was somebody there. And 
I think Private Molitor was too, just based on my, I literally took off as fast as I could go back down there. I think he came with me, one, because that's my private, he's my guy. And the other one is because he, he's going to save someone's life. I mean, we're down there to, to save someone's life. He, he understands the job. When I made the call to let them put the fire out, if, if Captain Bono and his crew doesn't do that, it probably flashes on us. Now we had a back door to back out of. We probably could have got out of there, but there's nowhere to get out other than that back door. And we had no idea that was there. When he makes the decision to open that line, he makes the decision that whoever's in there probably isn't viable in that room, but there's still an entire basement to search. So we searched that entire basement. Um, and now it's lights out. It's lights out yeah. and it's, it's hardcore and it's going. And, uh, we managed to search the rest of the basement, and the chief was Chief Demas was trying to reach me the entire time to tell us that was the only victim. I couldn't hear him, um, and those guys on the truck were trying to tell me. Molitor and myself, our radio was gone. We were done. Um, that we couldn't hear them, so we were full go. When we went on Bell, I know monitor and myself have about eight to 10 minutes left. So we're working, looking, searching. And I let the chief know, or at least I thought I did that we're on bell and we're going to be coming up. He never heard me. Um, it started to get a little panicked in there because I think chief Demas and chief leak, uh, and our deputy chief and our fire chief were kind of wondering where the hell we were. We were kind of out of contact which is unlike, which is unusual for us because right. if I'm, especially first into a fire, I'm talking, I'm usually interior command. I'm usually talking the entire time to these guys. They know what we're doing. They can't hear me. I think I'm talking to them. They can't hear me. And when I came up the stairs, uh, Chief Demas grabbed me and he said, hey, the kid is out. And I said, that, what kid? Like that, that wasn't a kid. And he's like, right. that was her. I'm like, that was a grown-ass woman. He's like, no, that's a kid. I'm like, okay. We switched around, flipped out bottles, went, went back to finish our job. But um, that was really the significance. But I will say this. When I, when I went down there, um, I couldn't believe the amount of... So when, when we opened that door and I made entrance to the stairs, the smoke pushing out of that stairwell was significant. The heat was significant. I didn't have a flash hood on, which a lot of guys say they don't wear because they can peel it back. They can feel whatever whatever you're comfortable with. I understand. I've been to a few fires. What's hot and what isn't. It was shitty down there. When I got to her, I couldn't figure out why she wasn't coughing unconscious or laying on the floor. And I can tell you guys in, in 100% certainty our dispatcher, Barb Mitchell, who dispatches a lot of fires for us, a lot of calls for us. She's been on the job longer than I have. She, she was on the phone with the girl in the basement. She told the girl, if you have a cloth or anything you can put over your face, wet it and put over your face till we get there. That is what saved the girl's life. I would say that was more significant than anything I did, anything I did. If it wasn't for, when I threw her out of that door, there were no smoke stains on her face. Nothing was charred. She had burns on her arms. She had burns on her hands where she grabbed the knob and ran back down. 
if it wasn't for our dispatcher telling her to do that, that girl probably would be a very different outcome. So, yes, it's it's cool to be the guy, right, whatever. But if it wasn't for that dispatcher, that girl's not here today. And that's a fact. That's not conjecture. That's a fact. And if, if everybody doesn't recognize that, you're making a mistake. And when we talk about these rescues and we talk about calls, we have to think about people behind the scenes that are making those decisions. If Chief Demas doesn't stay at the top of the stairs with Chief Leak and force that door so it's forced when I get there and have the discipline to stay there and wait until I come around the corner. Now, they think there's two of us coming. They don't know that, that Molitor's getting dressed. They don't know. They assume he's coming with me. When they see he's not, to send me down there, to not go with me, to stay there to wait for us. That girl was screaming down there. It was ugly. It was ugly to have the wherewithal, the discipline, the scene, the scene discipline to stay there and wait is unbe. I challenge any of you to try to do that. And when the chief says to me, and this, this conversation has happened, get your education. I want to promote you. Absolutely not. Because if that's me standing at the top of the stairs, guess where I'm going? And then guess what happens? My family is at a wake and we die. Not only that, but think about this. If I'm down there and Chief Demas comes around the corner as a captain to come down for a rescue and there's two of us down there and he has to make a decision, what's he going to do? Think about this. You're going to rescue your family? What are you going to do? He's going to try to take us both. What happens then? Now you have three victims. Now you have three, and he dies too. And then I got a truck company coming down with no hose protection unless they decide to bring it with them, right? Now guess what? This becomes a complete disaster, a departmental disaster. I understand we're not the size of Chicago. I get it. I don't get five guys on a truck. I don't get four guys on an engine. I don't get that. I get three and three. One of them's got to drive. He's an engineer. The other one's a backup line guy. Two guys on a truck. The other guy's forced the door in the rear. Well, the hell, the door in the rear is fierce. He's forced. Now he's blowing windows because, remember, the fire above our head was blowing out the windows on top of the chief when he made that decision. So I would argue that, you know, we want to make this me and, and that I made a rescue. Without that dispatcher and without that chief making the correct decisions, this outcome's very different. And our department's very different for the history, for the rest of our lives. Think about that. Did you get a chance to see this girl after? I did. So, so I talked to her mother. Um, uh, I talked to her mom on the phone, and I just said, uh, how's she doing? She said she's doing really well. She had nightmares when she was sleeping. Um, now she's past those, and she's doing really well. And I just said, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for your family. And uh, she said, thank you so much. I said, there's no thank yous here. This is what we do. This is our job. I appreciate the fact that you, you talked to me and said thank you. Um, um, our de- my department has reached out to me. I've had two members of the awards committee reach out. They want to make a big deal. And that's cool, right? I told you guys, policemen, right, get it for nickels, wear manhole covers, I, I kid the cops all the time. I love them, right? If if you want to get firefighter or 
a PD or policeman of the year, how do you do it? You, be, you do a fireman's job, right? That's a joke. That's a standing joke with us. We say that shit all the time. These guys did it right that day. And because of that, there's a 15-year-old girl who's going to live to have children and have a family and move forward for the rest of her life. And I, I talked to Chief Demas today, and I told him, because of you and Chief Leak and the other people on that job, we... This is a family lineage that's going to carry. You think about that. I talked to Barb Mitchell, our dispatcher, who I think is left out of this all too much. How big of a deal is that? She's getting ready to retire in a couple years. She needs to hear it. Without her, this is nothing. How often do you hear about uh, about dispatchers getting Correct, and that's wrong because they're the front lines of what we do. Think about it, guys. Think about it hard. This is a group effort. This is not one person ever. If, if private monitor doesn't come with me, if my driver doesn't get that line to the door, if the truck doesn't bring it down, there are, there are a hundred things that went right on that call that made that girl come outside and be safe today. And she's thriving and doing well today. And I thank, I thank everything for that. Not to mention she got a couple saves of her own too. Yeah, I'll tell you she, what. She grabbed more people out of that house she, than you did. She did, man. It looked like a cartoon coming out, the cat and the dog and me, and it looked like a shit show coming out of there. But I'll tell you what, everybody's alive and they're happy and they're smiling. That's really all I give a yeah. shit about, really. Yeah. I Listen, you can talk about all the stuff you want to talk about, what's wrong with our society. None, that's the difference between us firefighters and us cops. We don't have time to differentiate any of it. I don't give a rat's ass who's in there. We're coming on the Aurora Fire Department full blast. We don't care. And if dead, alive, or indifferent, we're not leaving anybody behind ever. Um, When I was younger on the job, Lieutenant Torres was a private at the time. I remember he lost a little girl in a fire, and something in the paper had made a comment about something we did incorrectly or something we didn't do right as a fire department. He was so upset. I was new. I was, he's only a year ahead of me. We had two, three years on the job. He was physically, emotionally upset because we lost that girl. Like, we take that shit personally. And, and everybody on our job gives everything they have. We have our days where we, do, we don't do it, right? We have our days we don't get those fires. What's the hardest part? of being an officer, getting firemen off the couch to do their job. Go out and train. Get them off the couch. You never shut them up. Once you get them off the couch, they're working. You can't stop them. Once them tones drop, there's zero margin for error for us. We go. Chicago, Naperville, Aurora, it don't matter. We're all the same. Everybody goes with everything they have. That's a fact. That's what separates us. That's what makes us different. Right. Well, I, I'm, I mean, that's an amazing outcome um, to, uh, you know, like that's ultimately, I mean, you talk about uh, the job. I mean, that, there's the job right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, so, and all working parts together. Like that's everything. That's one of our, that's yeah. one of, I think, one of the things that sets us apart of a lot of different no professions question. is that like we're a team oriented sport and like all these different parts if they're, they're not working right i mean the chief for him to i mean any of us can say like it's it's harder to do nothing oh. than it is to do more when we're at these incidents and like, i talk I, I talked to him today 
Every single day of his life, he runs this through his head every day. And I said, if you do anything differently, the outcome is very different. Right. She potentially isn't alive today. I'm potentially not alive right. today. You're potentially not. Think about it. What's the end game? The end game. What's the end game, guys? Get them out. Everyone, Make sure home. they're alive. Yeah. Alert and oriented. Functional. Happy the rest of their life. Why would you change any of that? Mm. He did the perfect job. A chief, a dispatcher. I just happen to be... Listen, guys, this is all about right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time, depending on how you look at it, right? right? I've had numerous, numerous calls like this. Some guys say, you're the black cat. Some guys say, damn, I want to work with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time, however you look at it, right? Right. Well, yeah, that being said, that. let's... Uh, Let's go on to the to you know to the next story in this you know to maybe you more of us more publicized story yeah. depending on how sure. you look yeah, at it. Yeah, and I mean you can you know tell this story and then you know we'll decide at the end if you think you were in the right place at the wrong time or <laughs> the wrong place at the right time. Yeah. So uh, take us back. You know what we're talking about? What year was this? Talking it's about the, now? the the yeah, Pratt started, shooting. So. Yeah, so so yeah, worst call of Another. my entire career, and and there's been a lot of those. But um, I mean, I had six SIDS kids in one year on Medic One, and that's that's a tough day, right? That's that's a bad deal. Um, right. And then so, this day happens; it's you know marked in history. Yeah. So so I'm I'm actually it was lunchtime again, and I uh, I'm notorious for taking the grandpa nap, right? Like, you guys can bust my balls. I could give a rat's ass less, right? At lunchtime, I go in and take a nap because if I'm up in the middle of the night, I got to be on my game, and I'm an old man, right? So <laughs> my chief, uh, Chief Shivari, kicked my door open. Typically, the guys will knock, or if they need something, they'll, they'll knock and be kind of generous about coming in and chief shivari threw the door open and he said uh, hey we got a sh we got a we've got a mass shooting on the west side uh, get ears on it let's see what's going on he took off so being in the battalion house for me is an advantage because i can hear every call that comes in now they didn't dispatch him over the tones on this call it came over his radio which he had on so it didn't drop the tone so i couldn't hear it he came in and told me um, a lot of times when we get fires on the near west side, if I'm at, at fives and I know it's going to be a big fire or bad, I'll pull my guys into the engine and we'll start driving flow of traffic and I'll sneak up on these fires before the chief drops the second alarm or what we call an additional alarm. Um, so I get there much quicker. That's the advantage of being in the battalion house. The chief's going to scream when he hears that too, but, but I've already told <laughs> so him that. So this is February so. 15th, 2019. Okay, whatever you say. <laughs> um, so I grabbed my guys and said, hey, let's go. And that was including my medics because it, it was clear by the radio that things were going bad. Um, you could hear the cops uh, you could hear it was a pretty shitty call. I took my medics and my engine. We started driving flow of traffic. The Chief Makovich, who's our deputy chief or our assistant chief now, um, he I texted him. He's a good friend of mine. I texted him and said, hey, get engine five over there. Let's go. Are you able to monitor the police 
I, transmission? So I am, right? Okay. So that was something that I did. Um, I had my senior private who was driving pick up the police channel. I picked up fire ground one, which is typically where we go to, and I had my private go to fire ground two. Chief Demas, who was a captain at the time, was first on the scene. He rolled up to the cops that were shot at the front door. Um, so give us a little background about what what's going on in this shooting. Like, Tell everybody where, so, where it, it, this is at and what's going on. So at the Pratt building, it's sort of on our near west side. It's not too far over the river. It's not entirely far, uh, far west side. Um, when this came in, it came in pretty clear that it was a mass shooting, that we were going to have a... Um, multiple patients and it was going to be a mass this shooting. This is a big facility. This it's a, isn't a residential. It's a gigantic facility. They said it was 29,000 square feet, I believe, but that was half the building. The other half was the same size. Um, and was this building hold? What did they do? It was, they were work, it was a factory building okay. some products. I, I would say there were probably anywhere from Again, don't quote me on this, guys. I would say there were anywhere from 15 to 25 people in there, based on what I saw. Um, okay. I'm not as familiar with this building. I didn't work the west side a lot. Um, I knew, based on the dispatch and how things were going, that we were going to end up there. When I texted uh, Chief Makovich's number, it was his personal cell, and I said, get Engine 5 there, get us in the game. He, he dispatched Engine 5 specifically, because we had just finished the RTF training, the rescue task force, the rescue task force training. We, we had just finished training with Naperville. They came in and we did all the training on it with our police officers. So we had a really good idea of what we were doing. Um, we knew that if, if a person went into a building and started shooting it up, the, the object was to become the offensive, not the defensive. We were going to attack this building and attack this person and push him backwards and make him go on the defensive. Right. Um, so what happened was... And so you guys showing up and, and the chief showing up, this was all premature to it, dispatch, right? It, this was just you guys... No, it was after or? dispatch. Okay. Um, so it was being dispatched, but our chiefs were there quick. Station 3 is right down the street. Gotcha. Uh, our battalion chief was there quickly. Uh, engine three was there quickly. Engine seven was there quickly, and they were setting perimeters. Um, what a lot of people don't know is someone, one of the victims that was shot in the leg, I believe the leg, exited out a side door and went to the street on the side, found a driver by and jumped in their car and was taken to the hospital. That never made the news. Um, I don't. I don't even know why. When we were driving their flow of traffic, you could hear things amping up. The police, so again, I had my senior private on the police band. I was on fire ground one, and I had another guy on fire ground two. So I had ears on everything. Um, Chief, or uh, Captain Demas at the time, got on the scene of engine three. Um, this guy had shot. Um, so he originally had gone on, to my knowledge, and shot these four people and was trying to exit the building. When our police showed up, they went to enter the building. They couldn't see through the glass windows. Again, guys, I'm speculating here. I'm only going with what I know, so I don't know the facts. I'm, I'm speaking to what I saw. Two of them were shot through the glass by the gentleman uh, by the man coming out the door. One was hit in the eye. The other one was hit, I believe, in the leg. 
Um, when she, when Captain Demas and his crew showed up, they were dealing with those two guys. My understanding is the police vehicles rammed the front of the building through the glass, pushing him backwards, which would make sense to me based on what I saw. And the scene that you pulled up. On. Yeah, so somebody took their car and smashed through the glass windows and pushed him backwards, which probably single-handedly saved the lives of numerous people, whoever's in that building, because he was originally going to come out not too far from this this location. There was a school. There were multiple residential homes. I, I don't know what his plan was, but... I know that it, they pushed him back into the building to stop any of that from happening. It was, it was keeping the cancer in one place. Yes. When we arrived, I arrived fairly early. When I got out of the engine, I looked at my chief Kreenitz was on the scene, and I looked at him, and he said, Chuck, stay with your vehicle. I think he addressed me by rank at that time, so I know it was very serious. I, I fell back to engine five. The other engines were pulling in. We were all kind of pulling in. And then he said all fire units pull up to forward staging. He had taken an engine and made them the staging officer. I'm not really sure what happened from there. One of the officers walked up, and uh, I'll leave his name out of it. He's a very good police officer. He grabbed us three, me and my two privates, and said, I'm taking them and we're going. I, I didn't know the man, but he clearly knows us. I I gathered with him. We brought two state police officers with us. However that happened, I don't know. So we kind of fell in line in front of everybody. I don't really know how that happened. And I, I can't take blame or credit for that because it just sort of happened. Um, the state police, the two state police officers we had did not have RTF training. They were untrained. And so my senior, I took my younger guy and put him in the middle. I took my senior guy and put him in the back to teach these two guys what we were going to do, and I stayed in the front. I kept one of them on police band. I stayed on fire ground two, which was our fire band. We were operating off fire ground two, and command was operating off fire ground one. So I had ears on everybody. Yeah. And the police officer said, we need to run across this lawn. He's got an AR. And I'm like, well, if he's got an AR, we're we're dead because he's going to wipe us out. He didn't say anything. We ran across the front yard. This, this was on YouTube or Google or whatever the hell you guys do. Uh, my daughter was able to pick it up. And oh, no. listen, listen, I'm 55 years old. Okay, you can tell it's me, all right? And I'm not, <laughs> it's not a trotting. secret, right? You're trying I can run, but it's, it's ugly, okay? So... We're running across the yard, and we make the front door, um, which the police car is now breached. There are cops holding each door and a stairwell, and there's multiple people in there holding positions. And up the stairs was where we could hear the shooting. We could hear the shooting from inside. And So you're, you're getting ready to... To breach this building, right? We're in. And we're already what you, in. What do you have with you? I have my uh, fire helmet and my bunker coat, and my that's it. Does or, anybody is anybody else in your task force t taking anything else with them? You guys we have going in so manpower? we have these bags uh, that are similar to the bags you guys just just put here. Um, we have tourniquets in there. We have our RTF bags. We have bags with us. Um, we had two of them that are full of tourniquets and um, 
whatever we need to stop an immediate threat, right? Right, the causes. The but I'm in a fire helmet and a coat. Okay. And along with one or three armed officers? So I have one in front of me okay. and two behind me. Okay. So I grabbed the officer in front of me and I said, hey, just tell me right now where's your drop gun because if things go to shit, we got to go. He told me the two state guys were talking to my senior private in the back. I couldn't tell you what was said. He was teaching them quickly how to RTF us and how to protect our backside. Um, we ran into the building. It was We were there for about maybe three to four minutes. We could hear the shooting and the officers... Uh, I knew a couple of the officers holding the doors and securing the areas. I looked on the ground and I saw multiple clips, gun clips. I thought they were officer clips because I was told he had an AR. They were apparently clips from the, the gunman, gun. apparently. I grabbed two of them and stuffed them in my bunker coat, my bunker uh, jacket. I have no idea what my cop is carrying, but I know if I run out, I got, I got nothing. Yeah. I grabbed anything I could grab a hold of. And you're the first company. Well, so, Cody, your uncle was there too first in. So he went a different direction. So some of the other companies went a different direction, right? Mm -hmm. Some went to the loading dock because there were people there. Okay. Some went different. I was the first one in the building, to my knowledge. Right. Again, only to my knowledge. Um, we entered the building and heard the shooting. So then we said, the cops were talking. We're like, we got to keep this guy moving until we push him somewhere. They took us with them. We went together. And just like our training, we cleared hallways. That's when we came up on the four bodies. Um, I was in front. My junior guy was in the middle and my senior guy was in the back, uh, Hines and Long. My other two guys on the medic had already taken a guy, one of the police officers that was shot. I said, get, I told our, my middle guy, um, Private Hines, to get eyes on the guy that was farthest away. I wanted to see, make sure that what we were looking at is what we were looking at. Right. Um, my other two privates looked at the other two. There was a, an officer in there that was a medic. She said she was a medic. I couldn't tell you who she was. She said she already looked at them. They were DOA. In Aurora, I don't give a shit who you are. We need to see our own people. That's just how it is. We looked at our own people. Right. We were taught in training to put them in the angel position to teach companies becoming coming behind us to make sure they knew that, that they we had passed already, them. That right, they already been assessed. The police asked us not to do that for investigation purposes, and it made sense to me because if you saw how some of them were, you could see where the investigation made a difference. Right, so mm -hmm. that was the hardest thing for my young guy in the middle to deal with. Right, because he had to deviate from his training. So we decided, we gathered up and we decided we were going to move forward and keep pushing him. It was still us, us three firemen in the middle, two state in the back and one in the front, uh, APD guy. We kept, for, and we came into an area that was an open room that was probably, um, it was a round circle. It probably was, I don't know. It was gigantic, and it had um, it had a level. It had a first level and a second level. The first level was about eight feet high, and then the second level 
had studs up and it was wide open and you could see all the way around, so all the way around us. And I grabbed my cop and I said, listen, if he's above us, we're done. He's, he's elevated. We can't do anything about this. We got to get undercover as we, and he, he agreed with me as we started to move through at the very same time, the kid in the middle and myself looked over to the left and we saw a gun over by the doorway pointing right at us. It was probably 40 yards away, maybe. All, we saw, all I saw was the gun. And I yelled, gun, gun, gun. I went to jump on top of him, and the cops all turned on. It was a female cop holding a door on the other side, but she didn't oh, identify okay. herself. We didn't know she was there. Scared the absolute dog shit out of me. And when we got up, she yelled, blue, blue, blue. In our training, we never did blue, blue, blue. We didn't do any of that. So I didn't know what that meant, right? right? But, she, and I, but she conveyed the she she did. conveyed the message. She did. But I fucking chewed her ass. I was pissed. Oh, I let her know it. And she After was you laying got on, wiping yourself. Yeah. She was <laughs> laying on the ground, which scared the shit out of me. Like we would have been wiped out. Yeah. So then we got undercover. Um, we had multiple cops come into the same area that, at that time, and we where he was to a degree, and we just set. You, you could see the cops were a little reluctant to move forward without medics. They wanted us with them. You could tell. It, you could just feel it. Yeah. I was trained in RTF. We never split our team. I couldn't. I couldn't not split my team. There was no option here. I had to split the team. I relayed that back to Captain Demas, who was in charge. He was my lifeline back to what we were doing. Every single time we moved, that's it. That's the building, yes. So that gives you just a kind of an idea of how big of a place that these guys are going through. Like yeah. they're trying to clear this entire, it's a water valve factory. Yes, it was um very, very big building. Mm -hmm. Um. I every single step I made, I let Chief or Captain Demas know where we were. He was sort of my lifeline. And I could hear the police, I could hear our command post. I split my team. I made the decision to split the team. But as I split the team, I could hear them everywhere they were. I couldn't see them, but I could hear them. And we started searching, making sure we were clear there weren't bodies somewhere. Mm -hmm. As we all started to move forward, we walked up on a on a wall, a, a block wall. And I, I heard the police on the police band say, everybody hold, hold, hold. He's in sight. Apparently he was at his, at a workstation or his workstation and he was smoking a cigar and he was shooting at the police around a plexiglass at his station. Two of the um, SWAT guys worked around behind him and we heard the fire and uh, the gunfire and then it was quiet, um, and they just, they had said suspects down or, or uh, some, whatever they said, it was clear. Yeah, something right. to that effect. And I said, uh, hey, uh, Engine 5, Aurora Fire, do we need to look, do we need to treat the victim? And they said, no need, don't, don't come in here. That was about 15 feet in front of us where we were ready to go into that door. If we'd have walked into that door, it would have been very different. So... We gathered everybody up. Everybody kind of had to defuse. We went out the backside and went back. Um, our department, the PD, 
did a great job. I, I'll tell you what, guys. I bust the cops' balls a lot. We're always on each other's ass. <laughs> I'm telling you something. The Aurora cops did that shit right that day. They were legit. The fire department, we had 13 RTF teams work in that building. I can't speak to where they were, um, but I'll tell you what. They did it right. They did it good. Uh, I'll and, tell you what. You look at that building. It, it could have been 100 teams. Oh, well, when, just to put it in perspective, so... Um, five people were fatally shot and uh, six more wounded, including five responding police officers. Correct. So, I mean, that, that's a big incident. That's huge. And, and so we, we, uh, we talked about, so our department thought it was important to bring everybody in for a defusing, right? And bring everybody into Luigi's Pizza, which was right across the street. The problem was there were- Second was, best pizza in Aurora. Right. <laughs> There were so many policemen and so many firemen, you couldn't, you couldn't get everybody in there. And it was cold out, right? It was February. Um, so when we went in, we kind of separated police and fire. And the, and the chief really was like, how you guys doing? You okay? Well, shit, we didn't have time to be okay. I can just tell you this, that some of the guys that were on that call, and I know Chief Captain Demas was one of them, the minute he got back in service and went back to a station, he went on another call because that's what we do. Right. And I remember I talked to him and I talked to some of the other officers. I, I went to, you know, we got back. It was late. We ate dinner. We ordered in or they, the department had us food brought in. We went to bed at about 4 a.m. I woke up and that's when I dumped and it, it hit me what, what really happened to us. And it was, it was bad. I, and I told you guys in our in our our pregame fist fight here that <laughs> that we I don't talk to my family about this stuff ever. I've never talked about calls to them. I've never my wife saw me on on the damn whatever it is you guys watch run through there and my daughter and my kids and they can't reach me and they don't know and then they get a text from me we're fine. When I got home in the morning, I was studying for the captain's exam. I went straight to the basement because they were sleeping, and she came downstairs. That's the first time my wife has ever said, what the hell are we doing here? We, we're running into buildings now with people shooting guns at us. That's insanity. Now, we had been in that situation before in Aurora, but we're usually got cops in front of us and we're protected. Here, it was just different. It was different. And... Um, we had a long conversation about it, and I just said, "Listen, this is this is what we do. This is this is our new this is our new normal. Okay, yeah. you have to understand it. I don't want to put our you know I don't want to put our family at risk. I understand it, but but you have to understand from my perspective what we're doing here. And she doesn't know about RTF. She never heard me say that in my life. Like, what the hell are firemen doing in there? Right. When we breach that hallway." and the cops were holding the doors, there were probably 20, 15 to 20 citizens that ran by us. I mean, you should, have seen, you should have seen their faces. There's no going back on that. I looked at them. I looked at every one of their faces. Their eyes were bigger than your head. And I'm thinking, God damn, these people, for the rest of their lives, that's their future. Right. And, and I never gave it a second thought because I think, well, that's what we do. Well, that's not what we do. That's very different than what we do. Oh, yeah. It's going to become our norm, guys. Get used to it. So my young guy, who's in his early 30s, who's got two young kids at home and a pregnant wife, if she was pregnant at the time, I don't remember. 
he wasn't normal for about a month. My senior guy who was with me, it took him, took me and him about a few shifts. We, we became normal. The last day, about a month later, I said, if, I, if he's not showing me that he's normal today, I'm hooking him right now. We're done. I'm pulling him off duty and he's going to counseling and we're getting him fixed right now. He was right. not right. I couldn't get him off his heightened level of awareness. And there's nothing you can, I know him personally. I know where he lives. I know his family. I know him personally very much so. Well, give people who are listening an idea of what signs that tipped you off that he, he wasn't himself. He couldn't, case- he couldn't shut up. He couldn't sit still. He couldn't stop fidgeting. He couldn't, he was nothing like his norm, nothing. And he told me after that, that he doesn't talk to his wife about any of this either, because that's what we do. After that incident, a couple days later, after a couple beers, he finally opened up to his wife, who by the way, he scared the shit out of. And, and they started having conversations about it, which kind of brought him back to norm. So I'm just telling you, if you're an officer, and there's guys out there that say, oh, I don't be an officer. You're a fist fucker or whatever you are. You, you want to be the man. You're a, that's all garbage, right? We're all together. There's not one better than the other. Right. Understand your people. Know your people. If they're not right, you better start doing something about it because this shit's real and it lasts a long time. And we talk about it to this day. It's still our worst call ever. You're talking about a guy that's, that's been to hell and back. Right. You know, this I mean, is for you. this is awful. So I don't want to see guys that age at 30 years old, having another 25 years to do, having to go through that Just for the next 25 through. years. That's not right. And our department has taken huge steps in that defusings, debriefings. When I started, shut up, kids, suck it up. This is what you signed up for. And I get that. Right. But this is way past that, way past that. Start thinking. Start putting yourself in that. I talked to my chief not too many days after this incident when the federal government was investigating it and kind of trying to find out. They wanted everything written down. I wrote everything down from start to finish. I was supposed to go in front of them and speak. Never heard from anyone. The chief said, I want everything start to finish. I sent it to him. He, he was beside himself because he felt like sending us into that situation made him, it, it, it exposed he, him, right? He, yeah, he Did I send my guys he, into the right situation? Had he done anything different? People, I'm telling you, had the APD not done what they did, those other people that came out of there would not be here today. I can say that with 100% certainty. That dude was calculated, he was methodical, and he was very good. And what he did. And I got to say, like, as it pertains to, like, the RTF, which stands for Rapid Task Force, um, it's it's a relatively new concept. It is. You know, and I know there were a lot of naysayers, you know, and (laughs) and even myself, like, I was kind of, us as as firemen and paramedics and first responders, like, we were always taught, I mean, you more than anybody, we're taught scene safety is our our primary concern. We don't go anywhere that isn't safe. For sure. This is a new concept. It was a new, like it's a new concept now. Let alone it is still at that time. It was. I mean, it was right hot off the process, and you guys are putting it in action. To my knowledge, that was the first RTF teams actively deployed under live fire in the country. Now, 
Oh, Again, yeah. I could be wrong about that, yeah. but but I don't understand why we're not paying better attention to it. And how soon after training was it that you guys oh, had? Not not less probably a month. I'm guessing. Oh my god! It the was first time you you were ever exposed to RTF. Was yeah, at, we didn't even know what it was. Oh. We went in with the Naperville Fire Department and we did the training and. And, you know, they were fantastic. They did a great job. Our guys have been in training for it. They learned how to teach it. They right. taught us. And uh, I can't imagine what that would have been like without that training. I can't imagine. It would have been horrible. I was just going to ask you, so you feel pretty good about, like, having putting this in action, like, this is this is the move. Huh? I'll tell you what, absolutely. I'll yeah. tell you what, Um if you're going to stand outside and wait, that guy's going to wreak havoc in that building, whoever it is, one, two, three, four of them. Putting them on the defensive immediately sends them into a different mode. Yeah. But again, be smart, guys. They're intelligent. They have, they have the knowledge you have. They know what you're doing now. Stay ahead of them, right? There's people smarter than me doing this, right? And, and they're going to understand how to get in front of these guys. But if you sit back and wait, we're in big trouble. Look at Columbine. If you learned nothing, go look at that. How many lives would have that have changed had we been doing RTF? Had this been a, Absolutely. This been a, There's option. no question. Um, well, we had I, no firemen hurt. It was, it was really, it's a win for us. The APD, I'm telling you, what a, there were some, I'm telling you, a guy shot in a stairwell firing back saying, I'm still in the fight. I'm not coming out. I'm in the fight. That shit's out there. Listen to it. That shit's real. That ain't Hollywood. That shit's real. I don't know who it was. I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't have any social media. I don't care. That shit's real. I heard it all on the radio. You try to amp that up and see what that's like live. That's rough. Well, we're, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, moving into, um, the end of this. I mean, we've done two hours. Yep. How, I mean, we, and I don't think that we've scratched the surface no. with you. Yeah. You know, we're 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 two hours in this podcast, and yeah, I I know that I've I had to skip from earlier in your career to like yeah. you know to That's present okay. to about twenty seven years in. Yeah, and um, <laughs> you know, so you know, we want to um, you know, we uh, have you back another time if oh, uh, if we can talk you into it. Yeah, but I know I before we finish, Corey always forgets until right about now mm-hmm. when he mm-hmm. wants to ask you about your best. Um, Some of your best pranks that you've seen around the firehouse. Oh, Come man. on, there have been a bunch. I, and Dude, I was bringing up now so that, so that we can end on a. <laughs> yeah, or no, not a yeah. shooter note. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so. Don't disappoint us now. Yeah, so Cap. the guys at AIDS, they think they're a bunch of badasses, but uh, they, they messed with my. My guys, so we got up about uh, one or two in the morning. We drove over. It was snowing, and uh, they have cameras outside their station. Um, you know, the battalion chief's in our quarters. He had no idea we got up and left, which is the funniest thing to me of all. But we we take a step ladder. One of my guys, Kevin Casey's uh, cousin or oh. nephew or one of them, he Mike Casey's my one of my privates. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was my private at the time. He, uh, you know, he's six five, six six. So, we we have a blanket over us, hiding us like a bunch of dipshits, because we don't know the cameras at eights don't work, right? So <laughs> they're immune. Oh yeah, blankets. so we don't know. Yeah. Plus, they're tracking us through the snow, right? 
And I'm such a dumbass. I don't know that you can look on the computer and track us anywhere you want. I, I don't know that, right? <laughs> so we get to their station and we walk up with a stepladder. We're all behind the, the, the blanket. We throw the blanket over the camera. We go into the station. We take all their two and a half and throw it all over the station and connect it together. So they got to fix it. <laughs> we take all their coffee cups and all their silverware and shit, and we take it upstairs and hide it in the mezzanine. We switch all their sugar with salt. Ooh. And then back earlier, I was at a fire with those guys, and they were busting my balls. They took a mannequin, and they stuffed it in my gear after I was done. I was in my three quarters, and uh, they fucked with my gear. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> that's a, that's so a I, stuff. I kept the mannequin head. I drilled holes through it. And we put a fishing line through it, and we hung it from the ceiling so when they opened the door, it would drop they down in front of their head. <laughs> so then um, for the final- This is some well-articulated yeah, well, So for the final caveat, I took, I had pieces of cardboard I cut out of a box, and I put three mouse traps on each one, and I glued them to the cardboard, and I was going to slide the mouse traps in front of their bed, and I was going to drop their tones. <laughs> and my guys got nervous- because they thought we'd hurt somebody with these mouse. It was traps. only at this point with the yeah. mouse traps, and yeah. they were like, "Ah, maybe yeah. this is." Until a good then, idea. we were fine, <laughs> right? So then we, so my guys talked me into instead of the regular mouse or rat traps, we're gonna we're gonna use the glue traps. <laughs> we took two alarm. They, they, clocks. they took the high road yeah. on this one. <laughs> I did. I listened to them. Right. We took two alarm clocks and set them in their bunk room, one for two a.m. and one for four thirty, <laughs> and we set them. And we set all these glue traps, and then we put them on their light switches too. So when they got up to turn their light on, they grabbed the glue trap, which originally I was doing mouse traps. And these idiots got up when the tones dropped and stepped into these glue traps and walked out to this shit show. And but we weren't gone yet because their tones went off for a call as we were leaving. So we took off like a bunch of little kids, and. Uh, it was for nothing. The dispatch didn't say anything. It was accidental. <laughs> oh, but one of no. them was smart enough to get out and see where my engine was on the GPS to know <laughs> it was us. Well, they thought they'd be smart and not tell anybody. Well, I called the chief in the morning and told him what we did. And I said, hey, don't let these guys out of it in the morning meeting. So it went all around the department. They got hooked, man. So uh, yeah, that was that was the last one. It was like home alone traps. That you was guys. a couple months ago. Yeah, that was, that was pretty damn funny. But... Uh, yeah, the phantom on the AFD lives, man. And uh, we had we had a big blanket with the phantom lives dropped down from the ceiling. Oh, we we hooked them good. <laughs> They'll deny it, but uh, they got got. Oh yeah, for it's sure. A, it's not it's it's recorded. Oh yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. A they got nothing to say. <laughs> they got nothing to say. They can't rebut. <laughs> um, shit. Well, That's fucking awesome. Well, Chuck, I can't thank you enough for being here. Yeah. Well, that being said, it's been an honor having you here. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the trip and. Uh, um, you know, proving again that, uh, you know, we had a pretty good, good gig here, uh, being able to have a cocktail with a guy like you and, yeah. um, you know, just listen to some stories. Oh, you know what? I, Chuck, I'm sorry. I got to oh. stop you real quick. Yeah. So of all the things Steve asked about on my drive over, yeah. he's, we were talking, oh, we yeah, were talking about how great, like all, all the cool stuff and interesting yep. stuff and. Uh, unfortunately terrible stuff yeah. that uh that you've been through he's like you got you gotta have him tell us about the alpaca <laughs> no it's a, a llama right it was alpaca it was alpaca. alpaca. yeah well, so this scar on my forehead that you see it uh, cut about 
two or three weeks ago, I was shearing alpacas with my son. That's sort of our side gig. And you one were of them, shearing alpacas. Shearing so them. You're just giving them a haircut. A haircut. Yeah. It's an industry term. <laughs> one of them uh, kicked me and come across my forehead. That's the scar you see here. So I, I was with my son. My son's 16, Reese, and uh, one of the ER docs is a buddy of mine. He lives in town where I live. And I said, hey, you are you by your parents? And I, he said, yeah. I said, hey, man, you need to just stitch me up. I got a cut. <laughs> and I show up with this cut, and he's like, God damn, that ain't a cut. That's a gash. <laughs> so he sewed me up in the garage at his parents' house. And uh, I went to work, and Chief Demas is my chief now. And he goes, hey, I had a Band-Aid on, you know, and he goes, what happened to your forehead? I said, I cut myself shaving. <laughs> and uh, he never said another word. <laughs> well, Steve, I was talking to Steve, and he's telling me the story. He's like, you got to ask Corey, because I guess Corey got, I don't know if he, you got a message we were, saying. We were, we were trying to schedule this a couple weeks ago, and he's like, ah, I'm all fucked up from this alpacing. They kicked me in the fucking head. He's yeah. like, that's how you started the conversation, was like, I just got kicked in the head by an alpaca. <laughs> oh, you guys find that weird. That's normal shit this to is, me. But this is just I, every I didn't find couple it weeks. Weird. I'm yeah. driving, and I almost drove off the road. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, that's a true story, man. We live on a farm, so I have horses, alpaca, deer, a dog. I have a pig that lives in the house. Oh, yeah, man. I got a little 35-pound pig bacon that lives in the house. That's my life, man. It's, it's a fucking total joke. You know, Peck, like, it looks like a llama, only smaller. Yeah. They're a total it's, pain if, in the ass. Yeah. Are they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, guys. It's uh, My life's a fucking funny shit show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. I, I don't know what else to tell. I mean, I'm not as funny as Kevin Casey, the first podcast hey, I ever listened know. to, by yeah. the way. with the That was your first one ever, huh? Oh, dude, I've, yeah, ever. <laughs> my, my Our union president, Garrett Orris, he, I said, hey, man, tell me what a podcast is. And he looks at me like I'm an idiot. He's like, are you, you serious right now? I go, dude, I have no idea what the hell that is. So he, he showed me, and I listened to Kevin Casey's podcast. I thought it was great. Well, yeah. thank you. It, uh, I mean, that podcast made itself. You just give well, Kevin Casey a microphone, and oh. it, it was it was a, one of, uh, you know, one of the uh, – our best podcast yeah. that, uh, you know, and how many podcasts were we into at that? By the time I, we had Kevin on, yeah, like I don't know. Early. I you listened know, to Father Tom. You might as well just yeah. shut it down after yeah, him because right. yeah, that yeah, yeah. guy. And while we're here, hey, um, come here. <laughs> you want well, everyone, um, yeah, we were. No, 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 come on. No, he's out. He's out. Uh, but, but we're lucky enough to have. Uh, yeah, we're lucky enough to have, have our photographer out. It's been an honor uh, to be here for this first podcast I've ever uh, been a part of. Yeah. And I really thank you guys for letting Welcome. me uh, <laughs> photograph some of your photographs. Uh, Northern Illinois Fireground Photos, or you can go on YouTube, uh, just type in Todd Sherman. Yeah. And, uh, I've got about 500 videos uploaded on YouTube and about, uh, I think, 600 albums on the uh, fire page. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, so Todd came out and he um, he was able to stamp some great pics of um, of stuff that we got going on here, and um, Todd, pretty well renowned guy in uh, in our fire um, in our fire service when it comes to, the, to Illinois, especially grabbing great pictures of, of us and guys out there, and um, we're lucky enough to have him out. Um, so and, thank uh, thank you as well. We appreciate all the help with uh, Fire and Iron Media. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any last words? Man, I just thank you guys for having me. I mean, it's been an honor. I, I don't, I'm just a fucking schmuck from nobody, right? I, <laughs> dude, I, I'm just, I'm honored. I'm flattered. I'm, none of this happens without all the guys. These guys I work with are unbelievable. They're great guys. They're great, great guys and girls. I mean, they're all fantastic. 
my whole career has been based on the people I work with. They're, they're awesome people. Well, thank you for your service, Aurora. Yeah. We appreciate you. Um, and uh, thank you, thanks Chuck. again for being here. Um, thanks for tuning in to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We'll see you guys next time. Yes. The Chase Foundation is a 501c3. It's a memorial fund celebrating the life of Chase Niedermeyer, who was lost on July 6, 2010. This college scholarship is for kids that are athletes participating in the New Lenox Youth Football Association. For kids to qualify, they must complete four years of high school in the New Lenox School District and submit an essay with reasons why they believe they are deserving of the scholarship. Please visit chicagosbravestories.com, go to the Donate tab, and hit the Chase Foundation donation button. And while you're there, please take a look at all these other awesome causes and charities that we believe in. This has been a Fire and Iron Media production. You have something to say, people want to listen. How was that, Daddy? <laughs>